Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Take it away. We are live with the one-year anniversary of the Completely Unnecessary Podcast. Alongside my very happy to be here, friend and colleague, co-host Ian Ferguson. Howdy. I am Pat Contry. We have a soiree of topics to get to on this, again, the one-year anniversary of the CU Podcast. Tonight, we'll be discussing, amongst other things, Amazon buying Twitch for $1 billion. A Goodwill concept gaming store is around now. Wow. Uh, Good old games getting into DRM-free movies and TV. Quake Live and changes that are upsetting old-school Quake players. The 25th anniversary of the Genesis and the TurboGrafx-16 passed in the past couple weeks and coming up tomorrow. The Smash Brothers lineup was leaked. Action Comics number one selling for $3.2 million. Mario Kart paid DLC coming out. The Scumbag Seller of the Week and your Q&A. Ian, how are we doing? Do you think we last a year? No. Well, okay. I figured we could probably last a year. <laughs> we'll see you after this show, right? I, well, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wasn't necessarily expecting us to be able to uh, pull it off every two weeks like we had planned. And I think that's what I'm most proud of because you and I have not always had schedules that have met up. But I just picked a Wednesday as a day that worked. It works for you. And uh, we haven't missed... An episode. As a matter of fact, I think we, we did might an extra. Have, we've done an extra. Episode. We did an E three special. Yep, exactly. We did one. We did one special episode immediately after E three. We think. I think we skipped a week. I think over the holidays we did sk- skip a Wednesday, but then we made up for this because this is our twenty seventh episode. So, which makes sense if this is the one year anniversary. Okay. It would be the twenty six, twenty seven. So, I think we skipped one, but we did the we did that E three, which is the week after the other one. Plus, it was like a WrestleMania roundup at the same time. I think. No, I don't know. I forget what it was. Yeah, but. I, I mean, I, I would have to go through the, uh, the logs listing and see like what what we've actually done. But no, I mean, let's put it this way: we did a year's worth of um, every two week content uh, yeah. without fail. So that's I'm gonna fucking pat myself on the back because that's pretty goddamn good for me. I've never seen you stretch that much before, Ian. Yeah, I'm not very flexible. No, I'm proud. It's sort of thing. I remember we started out. We were just in the other bedroom. We we're talking about the 2DS being announced. Ben Affleck was just announced as Batman. <laughs> I, I, remember, and, and we're talking about I think the Vita or something. I honestly Vita can't. Topic. I mean, I don't listen to a lot of the podcasts. I don't listen to a lot of the segments. I do if I need to fact check something um, that I said. But uh, after that first episode, I was actually kind of down on it because we just weren't dealt a good hand of topics really that week. I don't think. I, I don't remember anything being memorable other than me hating Affleck. Affleck. <laughs> no, I didn't even hate Affleck. I, I hated on Man of Steel. And that was oh, okay. when I made my first best friends online, uh, who loved me. Because um, so... you were because besides the marathon, which some people know the marathon they watch, but some people don't watch it. And, and I get new fans every year who may not even experience the marathon year before. So if they haven't seen those, or they haven't seen the two or three episodes you were in, they might have not not known who you were when you first started doing the podcast. There are people who have been watching for a year who think I'm a worthless nobody. So I mean, I'm not saying you're not worthless. I'm saying they didn't know who you were. <laughs> It was pretty humorous, though, to go... Uh, someone posted a picture from our first podcast um, 
up earlier today on Twitter, and uh, I looked a lot more boyish back then. You looked a lot more clean. <laughs> yeah, you like someone you could bring home to mom and dad. Not anymore. Yeah, not anymore. Now no. you look like a grifter. Yeah, you look like one of those kids that's down uh, down on Newport Street begging for change. Who actually has a rich mommy and daddy home somewhere, selling lotto numbers to old people <laughs> at McDonald's. Is what I'm You're doing. selling your artwork on the street. Yeah, <laughs> for coins. You look like a calico kitty. <laughs> I had a calico kitty cuddles <laughs> like in Jersey. She was cute. Um, we have a fan this week, which we is do. nice. It is. I nice. was sweating my ass off the past two podcasts. So are you? So I don't have my bandana this week, but I have my water to go. I'm still no, plenty gross. I think I think when we first started doing this, I mean, everyone and their mom has done a podcast or yes. wants to do podcasts because it's pretty simple to do. Mm-hmm. I always I've I've laughed about or talked about how let's plays are easy to do, and they are internet let's plays are easy to do. I've done them and I've done real reviews. They are di- different, entirely easier to do. Um, but podcasts are simple because you're just speaking. However, that doesn't necessarily mean what you're speaking about or how you're conducting yourself is actually going to be something people want to listen to. That's two different things. Yeah, it's, it's, I always, and I've thought about that a lot in my head. It's similar to modern DJing. Mm-hmm. Anyone can do a modern podcast. The equipment and everything is there for you to take. Um, anyone can DJ a set now. But with podcasts, you need to have two people who have a decent repertoire and who can play off each other well. Um, for a DJ, you have to have someone who can do track selection well. So there is still a lot of skill that goes into making something work. Sure. Um, that said, we're still in a sea of podcasts, and we are still completely unnecessary. <laughs> yet we have managed but, to amass some some fans somehow, and I'm appreciative of that. But what I like about what I like about it is 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 that I don't know it's getting out there because and we'll talk about this with our first topic about there's not a lot of civil discourse on the internet, not at all. Um, a lot of it's echo chamber. A lot of it is extremes. A lot of it is, if you don't agree with me, I fucking hate you and I wish you were going to be dead. And um, it's unfortunate because when you talk to people in person, most people are nice and civil when they're actually in person. People don't talk like they do in real life on the internet. No, exactly. And this goes with everything else, whether it's uh, politics or people like the, liking different sports teams, is that people have a lot... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's well, Boston fans hate New York fans. I'd say, oh, well, you want to get killed? Um, is that people have a mostly people usually have seventy percent in common, eighty percent in common, and it's twenty percent or so that we might have differing opinions on. But it's bad when you let that twenty percent totally wash away that eighty percent you have in common, and that's a shame because at the end of the day, most of our experiences day to day are exactly the same, and so that's basically. I mean, it's a good segue into the first topic, right? Um, and this is a topic that we, we struggle about whether or not we want to speak about this, but it's, it's the biggest uh, gaming topic on the net, and it has been for a, a good week and a half, not two weeks. And it's uh, the Zoe Quinn uh, scandal slash controversy, if you want to call it that, uh, and her relationship with uh, Nathan Grayson, a writer at Kotaku. I said you were leading in on this. Oh, you did? I thought, I thought you were leading in. Okay, so basically, what came out and that we're going to try to deal with, we're, this is what we're trying to deal with. We're trying to deal with what's factual. We discussed this. We're going to try not to throw out too many allegations besides what's out there. But what's confirmed is that, um, at least by early April, confirmed by Stephen Totillo of Kotaku, who's the editor, is that Zoe Quinn, who's an independent uh, game maker, she's most known for Depression Quest, which is a text-based game, which I believe is on Steam, recently on Steam, uh, she had or still has a relationship with Nathan, Nathan Grayson, who was a writer on Rock, Paper, Scissors, which I believe was an indie game review site. It's it a was, PC game review Just site. PC gaming? Okay. And then also on Kotaku. And so 
um, because her the ex-boyfriend revealed that she cheated on him with people, including Nathan Grayson. I'm going to focus on him because this is what I believe what the real issue is to me and a, a lot of people. Um, so because that, Stephen Totillo was forced to come out and say, um, now this is another thing we, we can talk about. He was forced to come out and say, I was did not know about the relationship um, in April. Uh, I do not believe that there was anything positive that Nathan Grayson wrote about Zoe Quinn or Depression Quest uh, when they had a relationship. Therefore, I think everything's kosher. Um, so people are still upset because uh, there it looks like there's impropriety here. Um, and when you talk about uh, journalism and media and your topics, uh, especially in, I guess you can say, professional media, even though sites like CNN are now a rag, MSNBC and Fox News, it's more about clicks versus actually reporting anything. Um, when things look improper, people assume the worst. And a rule of thumb usually in journalism is that as soon as it appears bad, everything sort of just, you know, it basically falls away at any sort of standards or any sort of uh, ethicality in terms of your reporting. Um, and so that's, to me, why a lot of people are upset about this. Uh, because usually when things like this happen, for example, um, I, I believe there was a reporter uh, who I was talking to that told me that before they were going to, they were going to be working on something that had to do um, or or was entering a relationship with someone that was working for something with Obama's campaign at some point. So they recused themselves from doing any reporting at all for a year at that point. Um, you can say now that this is video games. This isn't politics. There are different sort of you know, continuums, and this isn't as important in the grand scheme of things. But some would argue, and I'm more on this side, that uh, ethics and standards matter no matter what you're reporting. You have to have uh, disclosure. You have to have transparency. Um, so I think less of people would have a problem with this, um, at least to me, you're going to might say that people, there are extremists in any case, in any side, but if this was sort of disclosed or a proper reporter, or if you want to call him blogger would have said to the editor, as soon as the relationship happened, Hey, this is someone that I have written about recently, which we'll get into. I might write about in the future. I'm going to dis- disclose this relationship and any major news organization. That's what would be required. Um, you, if you worked at the Washington post, New York times, um, USA Today, if you entered any sort of relationship with anyone in any realm that you were close to dealing with, you'd have to disclose that. You'd have to, um, because situations can come up where it can be looked at as either favoritism or it can look at as sort of, um, is, is sort of, is there any sort of taint in this reporting going on, taint of it? So that's that's what happens. Um, when that doesn't happen, when, when, when issues come out, uh, if the editor isn't doesn't isn't doesn't find out about it, usually the editor will just go and fire that person because it looks bad for the entire paper. It looks bad for any sort of, you know, reporting standards. We can we can agree on that. That point. Uh, now, of course, when issues like this come up, though, you unfortunately have people that on the fringe that look at it as this is their sort of cause to go after someone entirely, and that's where the bad stuff happens. That's where you get uh, things like physical threats on people, death threats. And, of course, that's absolute bullshit. You never want to threaten someone over something like that, of course. And any normal person would never do that. Uh, the problem, then, is that it, people confuse two separate issues and try to obfuscate, is that the word, the, the, the entire issue because you have assholes doing one thing versus what other people feel is the real issue. Then it becomes twisted, and then no one knows at, at the end of the day what the hell they're even talking about anymore. And that's probably where you're at right now. Here's the deal. <clears throat> Here's kind of my thinking on it. Um... The initial allegation that I, I, I'm on the opposite side here. Um, 
while I agree that there needs to be ethics in reporting, and there needs to be standards, and while I agree with certain things that you have said, like if you are romantically involved in someone, you need to remove yourself from that sort of reporting. Um, it is not the fringe that made threats. It was a scorned boyfriend who used 4chan as his own personal army and Twitter as his own personal army to threaten, harass, humiliate, post nude photos of her online, threaten her with rape, threaten her with death, she can't go home. This is not how you start a conversation about journalism ethics in video games. Okay. That's bullshit. And that's that's where I have to disagree. Yes, I agree that... Journalism in video games has always been a topic. It, it, it always has. It's always been a problem. Jeff Keighley had to deal with it with the the the, the Doritos Gate, okay, and that to me was a, a far more important mm-hmm. uh, a topic, one that had to do with advertising creeping into games and swaying what happens, what gets pushed on on, on sites. Um, the fact of the matter is, is there was no review for Depression Quest. There was no, there, nothing has been proven to have been gotten from Zoe Quinn doing this. In fact, and furthermore, why are we discussing someone's personal sex life online? Because a scorned ex-boyfriend decided he wasn't doing this to blow the top off of a journalism scandal, because if this is blowing the top off a journalism scandal, this is fucking bullshit. This is like, this is a scandal? This is, this is nothing. I mean, it really is. I mean, what did, I mean, there's no proof that she got any extra message. I'm not going to use this paper thin theory that it was. It's it's all about journalism from these fucking black hats when it's not. This is their excuse for continuing a crusade against a woman that they don't like. And, and, and this is not the first time mm-hmm. Zoe Quinn has been targeted. This is not the first time her information has been leaked. This is not the first time that she has been threatened with rape, violence, and death. When she simply even had the balls to release a game called Depression Quest, she was also threatened. People go after her at any given chance. And, and here's something that, that might upset some listeners. I'm not even sure how well I would get along with Zoe Quinn. Just, I'm not. Just from, I, maybe mm-hmm. I would, maybe I wouldn't. But it doesn't fucking matter if I would get along with her. My problem is that people's first resort upon hearing this was to harass her to the point where she had to leave her home in fear for her life. Over a relationship that she started in a small cliquish community. Now, I don't approve of the, I don't, I don't like the cliquish community, the indie game community, but... When you are constantly working game jams with each other, when you are constantly seeing people at the same people, the same places, it's totally normal to form Let's, these relationships. Uh, what, you, you've opened, you've actually broadened the scope of what I, I thought you would keep the scope more narrow to this. Um, so let's let's back up. Before we get in trouble for saying things that we might get in trouble for, I do not believe, from what I've seen, that the boyfriend was behind any of the people going after her for death threats or things like that. I do not believe I've seen any of that. You have to understand that this guy is part of the internet. He's seen what's happened to his girlfriend. He knows that releasing a huge story on his blog we'll target her is somewhere. going to okay. target her. There's no way to deny so, that. So okay, you're, you're saying no way. You're saying at least it's an indirect sort of thing, but not directly because I, I haven't seen any evidence that was direct. Okay, I'm, I'm going to say this. The reason I think there's been a visceral reaction to this, um, I think because like you, you brought up the Jeff Keighley gate thing, which we've seen the picture of him with Doritos and that from a few years back, is that we we've always talked talked about. Um, the journalistic integrity or lack thereof in gaming. This is this is it thrown in people's face. Now, before you say 
there is no positive press given. Uh, there, there is positive press that you can gain from favor, and there's lack of negative press that you can get. And the fact of the matter is, well, there's actually been both. Uh, we spoke about the Game Jam debacle back in, uh, it was late March. Yeah. We, we saw about it in early April. One of the articles was written by Nathan Grayson on, on March 31st. Um, in that article, Zoe was the centerpiece of the article. Now, she was the one that was involved with some of the controversies, obviously, with Mary Maggie Lasham, and also uh, with John Tron, and then, and then arguing. Um, in that article, um, it was revealed, um, there was a soliloquy at the end about how, how uh, Game Jam is important, brings us all together, blah, blah, blah. She, re- she revealed that she was setting up Rebel Jam, uh, which is going to be her version of the Game Jam. And this is all verifiable. This is, she, set this, she set up a website, she set up a PayPal account on March 31st, which was the same day that the article Nathan wrote came out on Kotaku. Now, if you're telling me that it, it's a total coincidence that the website was set up, the PayPal account funneling her money was set up for another game jam, the same exact day that Nathan Grayson, her friend at this point, soon to be in a relationship, wrote the article and then pushed her rebel jam in the article, you're saying that's a total coincidence? I don't see it. Now, I, I'm not saying this is a huge. I'm not saying this is a huge thing that's hugely sort of uh, okay. This is not the most important thing ever, but obviously there's some thing going on there. All of I, I do. I'm going to have to say that it is coincidental, and quite simply, it's because of this. That was not the article that blew the top off the game jam thing. The article that blew the top off the game jam thing, the one that we referenced the most, was the one by Jared Rosen at Indie Static, and Zoe Quinn was the central figure in that one too. Why? Because she's up front, she's outgoing, she's forward, and she's going to so, do a lot of talking. This article was also posted on March 31st. Mm-hmm. Why were these posted on March 31st? Because that's when the news broke. And even in this one, she talks about how she wants to set up a more positive game jam. Yes. So, I, okay. Well, do, do you think Nathan should have recused himself from writing the article? Someone else probably could have written the article, but it, okay. it's no—it's not really any different than the one that everyone referenced when talking about it. I don't. It, 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 there's. I don't think there was any. I don't think there was any ill meaning in that. Like I said, the article that everyone looked at came out on the same day. Talks about the same stuff. Talks about the jam, and uh, it's a matter of timing. It's because that's when the news broke. Okay. Are you familiar about the Fine Young Capitalists website? Uh, this I don't know about, and I have not looked into, okay. so I can admit to that. Okay, this I'll, I'll go over it pretty quickly, because I have to catch up on it. Um, well, I'll catch up to speed. So the Fine Young Capitalists was a website of female game developers that was set up with a pretty cool mission when you think about it, and they actually have a Kickstarter now. So the mission of, of, of the Fine Young Capitalists is they are a group of female game developers, any game developers, and what they do is they go out and they sort of mine for ideas, for game concepts from from women <clears throat> because they want more women developing games. And so they'll come to you and say, okay, we're going to... I think the public votes on the idea of, of the best game to develop. So what, what the deal was going to be was that if I come to you an idea, I'm not a game developer. Pretend I'm a, I'm a woman and you're a woman developer with this final capitalist. I come to you, I have a game idea. It wins out. I come to you, I work with a graphic artist and a development team to develop the concept. At that point, of course, I'm not a developer. I'm done with it at that point. Your team develops it. Now, the deal that was put on the table originally, which was asked Zoe Quinn, hey, do you want to be a part of this, is that the person that comes with the idea gets 8% of the profits. The team then gets all of the profits from the game, and it goes to charity. 
So on paper, it looks like this is actually not a bad idea because, hell, if you have an awesome idea but don't know how to develop games, what are you going to do with that idea? You're going to do absolutely nothing with it. So they asked Zoe Quinn, and publicly on Twitter, Zoe Quinn uh, basically trashed this website. Absolutely trashed it. Um, the The tweets are still out there. On what grounds? Because she thought it was like enslavement of women, basically. She trashed it. A little over the top. The whole point is this is that she trashed this website, and now they're actually with a Kickstarter now getting started um, with this idea. Um, no, Not only was it not reported at the time that this happened with Zoe, tra- and Zoe was the, one of the biggest female indie developers, correct? Would you give me that? She's known, even she, before this, she was known. I don't, she's out there. Okay. So it was not reported by any website that this happened originally, that this trashing of this pretty good idea happened. I have not seen any major website report on this Kickstarter with the fine young capitalists trying to get this actually going again with a Kickstarter. I have seen no reporting on it from any major website. Now, if you want to say that's, again, a coincidence, you can say that. But the fact of the matter is we, we know we know that there's an incestuous relationship between these game developers and people at the websites. So, again, it's not just favoritism for good press. It can be your enemies not getting any sort of publicity. Or maybe your other friend on the side that you know may be getting complicity. The whole point is, it's the entire thing stinks on t- totally different levels. It stinks on the fact that it shows that gaming, gaming journalism is still in its infancy. It hasn't matured to anywhere near what you want to say the fourth estate, you know, back in, uh, you know, the 60s and 70s, how, you know, news reporting was, you know, a guy with a clock behind him and was, you know, make sure you vest your sources. It's not even near that at this point. And I think it, Unfortunately, you obviously you have awful people uh, threatening bad things to people because they're fucking assholes and they're whack jobs. We have that here. This is also an important issue here that we can discuss too. And I, unfortunately, that's getting mixed together. And if you can separate them, I think we'd have a much better discussion about each of them separately and what to do about each of those. Sure. Here, here's basically the last thing I will say on this. Uh, the incestuous nature of, of uh, not incestuous, but the close-knit nature of games journalists and games developers is always going to create problems. Okay? It's always going to create problems. But games journalism has never been particularly great. Okay? We can agree on... Oh, yes. We can agree that games journalism has never been particularly great. I am entirely uncomfortable having a discussion suddenly, again, about games journalism being crap and needing to be monitored uh, when it starts with rape and murder threats against a woman uh, who just had her public life leaked on the internet. Is it worth talking about games journalism? Yes, not in this context because it's lazy to fall back on game. Why is it lazy to fall back on it? Because you can talk about this at any time of the year. Games journalism isn't magically just crap right now. You can, but th- but you never have scandals like this, quote unquote scandals that are it's, sort of thrust into the limelight. Like I, I said, see, I see your point. This I, is this is important to talk about without this happening. But the fact of the matter is, when something like this happens, it puts the focus on this. Like when there's a mass, you can talk about gun violence and gun control anytime you want. But when there's a shooting in a school, now we talk about it because now it's on everyone's mind. Yeah, that's basically what it is. This is not a school shooting. I understand that, but I'm trying to make the analogy of when something like this gets thrust into the public limelight, you're going to talk about it because it's there. You're not going to ignore it. That's all I'm saying. We're, 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 we're not going to agree on right. sort of this, but, yeah. but at least at least we had a, a reasonable discussion and we heard each other out. 
That's what's important about it. And I w- and here's the thing about a rational discussion, and, and because I've seen internet quote unquote celebrities, Phil Fish, uh, people people at this is what I even talk about this people that are actually in charge of uh, gaming journalism websites actually taking sides, which is insane to think about that people that journalists would actually take sides in an issue because that's not their job. But whatever. The fact of the matter is, is that on Twitter. You can't have a rational conversation about anything in 140 characters or less. You just can't. It's not built for that. Well, and no, so one's, what, no one's trying to have a rational discussion about it in avenues where they can have more than 140 characters, but I still think... We're not, we're not having a rational conversation? No, we are. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm talking about like, um, like blogs, blogs, articles. Okay. Um, I, I still think the problem for a lot of people is, is that I don't buy, and a majority of people don't buy... Especially if you followed Zoe Quinn's career, and like I said, I, I I know of her from Twitter. I know of her from people I know, but I I I I do not buy that this is about games journalism. I buy that as a flimsy crutch that they're using to hold themselves up on. For for everyone or for some people? I'm gonna well, I'm not gonna say that about you, but I am gonna say for most people. Okay, I don't like blanket things, but that's your viewpoint. I I disagree with it, but all right. <laughs> okay, so video games, yay! Yeah, <laughs> video games. All right, what the, what the fuck are we doing next here? We're gonna talk about um, Amazon. Now we we talked about this. Was it a month back or two months? Yeah. Can we can we just actually take the original segment on Google and then just like voiceover <laughs> copy and paste it? Amazon. Amazon <laughs> is buying Twitch for one billion dollars. I think it was actually nine hundred and seventy million, which is funny to think about because what's the difference between and once you get up to the nine hundred seventy million marks, just give them an extra thirty million to make it one billion. Just just give it to them. Maybe maybe Amazon's thinking, hey, I'm getting a deal. It's not one billion. It's nine seventy. This is what's interesting about this is that and we're going to talk about this later with uh, good old gaming is getting into something a totally different realm too. Amazon's trying to take over the world slowly but surely in different ways. And they just started as, what, back in 95 as just selling books. Right. But everyone is seeing how watching people play games is now big business. Whether it's Let's Plays on the internet, you know, uh, on YouTube, PewDiePie's a Let's Player, the biggest YouTube channel by far. And now you have Twitch, which gets a huge amount of traffic. I think I saw a statistic where they get something like 1.5% of all the internet traffic last year or something ridiculous was was like Twitch or so, like something insane. Now, I know it's a lot of bandwidth. Just think about that for a second, how much of the market that is over the overall internet. So there's a lot of advertising dollars at stake. There's a ton. Right. Think about every time uh, people watch um, a game. Twitch does all, they do the gaming tournaments, right? Yeah. They do all the major ones. Think about all the ads that are seen from the millions of people that are watching at a time. Think about just people watching people on you. A lot of people on YouTube use Twitch to do their let's plays. So that's traffic in there. And everyone that has a pre-roll ad and there's a, there's a couple ads in between every, every whatever, 10, 50 minutes. By doing afterwards. their let's plays. Do you mean that's how they do them live? That's yes. how they record yeah. them. Okay. Yeah. Either they're either some people, some people just stream live right. and they'll watch people play games. Other people will, will do that to get their recording. And then later they'll edit it, chop it up and bring it, you know, come out with it. The whole point is that this is a huge market. So this, to me, this is obviously Amazon uh, diversifying. 
I mean, hell, what, think of the past. Think of the past even three, four years. The Kindle. They now have their own tablet. They now have their own shows. They now have Amazon Prime, where you can stream movies and and uh, and TV shows, just like Netflix. So I mean, they have their hand in everything. So I guess why not video games and Twitch? Right. I mean, I can't say much on this that I didn't say back when we discussed it uh, with 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 Google, but um, Google. And Amazon. Google, much like Amazon, wants their hands in everything. Mm. Um, and I think whoever acquires Twitch, for them, eh, hopefully it won't be bad for the users. But at least for the person who acquires Twitch, this is only uh, broadening what they are able to do and who they are able to access. I mean, it's more money for them. It's a smart acquisition. Um, I just, you know, you, you can only say you have to wait and see what changes they make to see if it's going to make the, the user happy. Yeah, I wonder because less than a month ago, they basically announced what the end of Justin TV, which is what Twitch started as. Twitch was originally the offshoot of Justin TV, which at the time, remember, going five, six years back, there was only three major uh, streaming services. Ustream, Justin TV, and I think, what was it, Livestream, I think. Was that the one? Uh, Yeah, Livestream. It was... Something it was something. It was we, very basic. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like fallen that. off the map right now. Yeah. It's just UStream and, and now Twitch. So it'll be interesting to see if Amazon will go back to it being uh, streaming everything, because there's a lot of things you can stream. You go on YouTube. YouTube, YouTube streams the presidential debates. They stream live sports events. Why can't Amazon get into that business? Well, Amazon too? has no currently has no streaming, uh, right? So I, I mean, right? I could they're, see yeah, they're buying an infrastructure first right. too. I could I could see them totally taking the only video game stance and rolling that back because it only makes sense for them from a business standpoint standpoint to be able or, to offer more. Or they leave Twitch as is. I would leave it as is, and they would offshoot that and just take the tech. And add it to Amazon. Right, because you've bought the tech. So you just, bought the tech. You can do whatever the hell you want. Just do it. A- call it Amazon streaming and leave Twitch basically untouched. Exactly. Which would be smart because, you know, with Twitch, you, you have obviously the relationships with uh, with uh, Sony and Microsoft built into their system. So why wouldn't you? That's already a moneymaker. Yeah, the more, you, the more we talk about it, the more it seems smart for them to leave Twitch basically untouched and use the technology to create their own streaming service for everything else. Yeah, so you'll go on Amazon and, for example, let's say by 2016, you'll see the presidential debates on there. Um, maybe we'll see uh, news coverage of the next uh, Olympics in 2016, Summer Games, right, coming up. Yeah, Summer Games in 2016. You know, they can get into all these ventures. Right. They can make deals to show the World Series. You know, I'm just thinking of sports stuff because to me that's the thing that you have to see live usually to have any impact. I just think it's a really uh, obviously with the money to spend. I'm going to buy my own streaming service. Why not? <laughs> I got 970 million dollars. I just think it's funny how it's really the past two three years, really year and a half, that all these major companies are buying up all these you know like streaming entities, YouTube channels. It's all happening all at once. It's like a it's like a uh, arms race, right? Basically, it's like who can stock up as quickly as you can. And I think Google this hurts Google a lot because Google's uh you know they don't have a they have a streaming part of like you know like Google Meetup. It's there, but it obviously doesn't have the infrastructure and popularity Twitch or the has. reach, yeah, or the reach. So uh, this is this is a you know this is a shot to the gut to Google for sure. But so I'm interested to see in six months from now if if Amazon will have something rolled out already, if Twitch will be going back to where you can do other stuff besides video games like before with Justin TV or what. I think it's interesting. No, yeah, it'll definitely be fun to watch. The uh, next topic is particularly of interest to me just because of what I do for a living. What do you do for a living, Ian? Uh, I fucking sit around and <laughs> piss off people <laughs> online. Um, 
So Goodwill has a concept gaming store called The Grid, and uh, it's a one-off store as of right now, but they may uh, look into opening it up a bit more. Now, when you read what's been written about this, the head of Goodwill says, you know, as game players know, you know, part of the thrill is the hunt, blah, 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 and finding, you know, a, uh, you know, a good game at a Goodwill. Well, now we've done uh, the smart thing, and we're putting all the games together in one store, and, uh, you know, you don't have to hunt around. Well, the fucking problem with that is you've just turned yourself into a retro video game reseller, and they've said that they've researched prices and uh, everything's going to be very competitive. Oh, and what, what we have here now is just... It, it's goodwill realizing that they can capitalize on the random shit that is donated to them. And I find that to be... And I'm sure that there's going to be some fun guys online who are going to love me for saying this, but... Um, they're preying on people who literally don't know what they have to stock their store and sell it at above what I've seen at least above or or at least high end retail prices. They're not paying these people for these things. No. Um and that's kind of troubling to me. Okay, so this is going to be this is in Charlotte, North Carolina. So to me that means the stock probably comes from all the the regional Goodwill stores. They in state that, area. that it's all regional. So the, I guess if they had their druthers, I just want to use that word druthers, they want to set these up probably at least a few in each state. This is why this is bad. As Ian stated, um, people, unlike when, when people goes into a shop, they, they, they sell their PlayStation 2 console, they sell games. Ian can't give the maximum value, but Ian's going to give a fair value knowing that he has to then mark it up to sell it at, at, at a retro game store. Goodwill gets all their... Items, all their items, games, clothes, TVs, by quote-unquote charity. You go to a Goodwill drop-off station, you go to a Goodwill store, they'll have huge trucks there, you'll bring your items, you'll drop them off. Thank you for your charity. This is a problem. Goodwill is not That's a charitable charity. organization. No, the guy makes tons of money. Goodwill is not a 501c. Goodwill is a for profit business. They have board members. They have CEOs that make a ton of money. They make hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is not the Salvation Army. This is not even your local like mission store that the money stays locally and they give out to people that need. This isn't an Amvets, which is another good store that people forget about that the money goes to veterans. Yeah, I like Amvets. Like I always, yeah. I always say go this, look at Amvets. This is a for profit company that tricks people into giving them stuff on the back of it being, well, by you giving us stuff, we can train employees to work, and that's how we're giving back the community. Guess what? That's what every Wait. business on the planet Earth does. They take in employees, they train them to work for a business that gives you back goods or services. Every business does that. So Goodwill, you can then transfer your name to every other business. McDonald's is now Goodwill. Sears is now Goodwill. This is what upsets me more about this, and people understand that that they're going to make even more profit off of stuff coming in that people think they're giving away for charity when it's absolutely not. Right, and in that article, and that's my that's always been my problem with Goodwill. When people have stuff that I won't take, and they're like, well, should I just go dump it to Goodwill? I say no. Dump it to Amvets or Salvation Army or Salvation Army, and I and, and believe me, I have problems with those organizations too. But if you're going to drop it at one of these places, I would say drop it at Amvets. But anyways, drop it at Amvets. Um, Goodwill does a really slick, disgusting job of disguising themselves 
as a store similar to Amvets or Salvation Army, and they're Sorry. not. And in that article, they asked the guy, what's the most expensive game you've seen in the store so far? And he goes, 200 although I couldn't tell you what it was at this point. It's gone now. So what, what happened was, is someone, probably someone's mother, donated a box of games and Goodwill made $200 pure fucking profit yes. off the game. And I think that's disgusting. It's it's disgusting just because they're not being honest. Yeah, they're not being honest. Be um, forthright, or it, 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 it's really now. I guess to their credit, I'm trying to. I wish I could see. Is there a picture of the sign? Does it say Goodwill the Grid or just the Grid? I think it just says the Grid. Actually, it doesn't even fucking matter because most of their stocks not coming from people walking up the street. Their stocks coming from all the other Goodwills anyway. So that doesn't even fucking matter. So my question is, how long does this last? Once people realize that the entire store is being stocked by entirely by free donations, that store's going to run out of stuff quick. The people in that area are going to stop dropping games off at Goodwills in, what, South Carolina? I mean, I, I just don't see this as being a place that's going to to be able to keep up its stock. Unless they hide the fact that it's related to Goodwill. Unless each grid store that comes out, I mean, I'm trying to look at the sign. The sign doesn't say it's a Goodwill store. It's just the grid, which is... When I think of the grid, I think of that cool... Uh, third-person arcade game <laughs> shooter should have had a port. That was awesome. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I, I feel does like... the store look nice? The store looks fantastic. Yeah, the store looks. It, great. it looks like it was a computer store that closed down. They took it over was. basically. Okay, if you read the article, it was a computer store that took over. So I don't know. My thing is just look at it. Think about what you're supporting <laughs> because because you're not you, you you're supporting a fake charity and they're making they're making money hand over fist. They probably remember that Steam events that the, the woman bought last year for like eight bucks and ended up selling. You think the higher ups at Goodwill found out about that? You damn right they yeah, found out. No, and, they're like, and they're like, we just lost you know twenty thousand dollar profit in our pocket. So this is why it's bad. I guess if you like thrift store hunting, stop going to Goodwill because now any retro gaming product or computer, yeah, they're not going to even price or put out there. They're going to send it right to the grid right. in North Carolina. And you're never going to see anything again in North Carolina. And that's the other thing that they're they're kind of destroying one of those. Even as a retro game retailer, they're destroying one of those things that that game hunters um, enjoy, which is thrift store hunting, flea market hunting. You no longer can do that. If this goes nationwide, you will no longer be able to do that at Goodwill because they will competitively price everything and move it off to their video game division where, you know, it, I don't know. It's just, I lost my train of thought, but it's, <laughs> because it's just dumb. I'm, I'm just saying yeah, it's dumb. I, over I, over. I'm trying to find a silver lining here. And I'm not, there, I can't. That's what I'm trying to There's not a silver, too. usually there's no. like some sort of silver line and it's like, no, this just makes it worse. Yeah, the first report I read of it, it was nicely organized, but like there's there was there was a there was a picture of an Atari a, 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 a game an Atari twenty six hundred game in a box. Don't remember what it was. It was something very very basic though, and they were charging like thirty nine ninety nine for it. And I doubt they're going to be hiring people that have actually knowledge of retro games. They're going to be just training people to to look on eBay. Look at the buy it nows, pricing at the highest buy it nows. Find the highest buy it now price. Uh, yeah, they're not going to look into. They're not going to be like when you price something, you'll look at okay, it sold for maybe twenty or twenty five. Maybe I'll put twenty on it or fifteen to move it. They're going to be like, oh well, uh, Mario Party three buy it now forty five. I'm putting forty five on it. Treg and I will argue sometimes for half an hour over, what <laughs> over should, one price over what we should price the game when we're looking at like <laughs> eBay. And you know, yeah, exactly like you said, this place is going to find the highest buy yeah. it now. And that's it. You might make the wrong decision, but at least you're having a conversation and thinking about it. Yeah. They're just going to be like, uh, okay, uh, Super Mario Duck Hunt. 
Oh, someone's selling it, trying to sell it for fourteen ninety nine. Buy it now, fourteen ninety nine. Buy it, now. Buy it now. yeah, exactly. And they'll have forty seven copies <laughs> of it in a row, and <laughs> not realize that they should be adjusting their prices to, to fit the market and keeping track of what's going on, or maybe even adjusting prices when they're not selling. You think they're going to do that? Probably not. I hope this business goes down in flames. Yeah, it's a shame because. You, I don't know. I think, if, again, if Goodwill was more forthright about what they actually are and what they're doing, I'd have less of a problem. But no, you're not a charitable organization. You're not giving away the profits If, if Goodwill anyone. just came out and said, look, we've got a really nicely designed retro game store. We offer, you can, we will take in your games for cash or credit. And they operated like mm-hmm. a regular store. I would have far less of a problem with this. That's fine. They're just not being upfront. God, Godspeed grid, grid store. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> grid arcade game and store. On to something that I think is maybe a little bit more um, positive, or at least a little bit more cool. It depends on what they can get, uh, may- mainly because I'm a huge fan of the site. Um, so GOG, which is uh, goodoldgames.com, they are getting into um, movies and TV. But they're treating it like they do uh, their video games, which is uh, everything is DRM-free. And it's not a streaming site. It's uh, you, you get to you own it. Okay. DRM free. You download it. You buy it. So I like good old games. Um, I, I I like their pricing structure. They're always fair. And I'm interested in seeing what they offer because if they they offer new and old, but if they make good choices as to what they can offer. I see this being pretty big for a large portion of people, and I'm not one of these people, but I'm still pretty positive on this, who watch a lot of stuff via their computer, whether they hook it up to their TV or they just lay in bed and watch it on their laptop. My problem is Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and things like that, they get paid per view. Or Hulu gets paid by advertisement. Membership fees. They can pull things off whenever they want. They can control the supply and demand and the source. They have contracts with with the people that are supplying them the content. I'm worried about what Good Old Games is going to be able to get because I can't see a lot of studios being okay with paid downloads. They're paid, but they're DRM-free and they're permanent. There's a reason why... um, Cartoon Network is very give and take uh, with what they put on Netflix. It's because they know they can keep you... Well, it's because Netflix knows they can keep you, but Cartoon Network knows they can keep making money by slowly dripping this stuff out mm-hmm. as opposed to giving it to you all for I, one price. Yeah, I think I, if, if, I was a, if I was at Universal, if I was at Sony Pictures, to me, I'd be like, why would I do this? Why would I be able to you know, have my movies available for streaming on Amazon or Netflix, why would I have them be able to be downloaded where people can more easily pirate them? It doesn't make any sense from a business standpoint. I don't think I don't think good old games they'd have to charge good old games so much more to counteract what they think is a piracy that good old games won't be able to afford any top tier. You're not gonna see any Marvel Studios films on good old games for download. Right. You might see maybe independent films or maybe smaller T V shows Again, or maybe that they can set up where you can submit your own shows. That could be a cool thing. Maybe Good Old Games becomes a, a venue where, hey, maybe you're independent. You can submit your own stuff for download. I can see that working. Bigger stuff? No, it's not. You're not going to. TV shows are not going to go away from Netflix, Amazon Prime, and no. Hulu Plus. Um, yeah. I was just marveling at my Tyrannosaurus Rex arms. <laughs> 
You Anyways, probably realize yeah, that yeah, in yeah. your well, end. Well, no, I mean, I've always noticed it, but I, I just wanted to I can't. Make... I can't even do that, and I do you. I, I can do it. I can do it. It's okay. fun. Ow, I think I just pulled something. I can't reach anything. Anyways, um, but I think that that kind of fits in with uh, GOG, actually. So, so what if they can't get the big stuff? GOG focuses on um, the modern stuff that might need help with a push, and they sell older titles like the Heroes of Might and Magic stuff. Okay. They sell niche uh, graphical adventure games. So so what if they get the rights to cheaper stuff like uh, cult classic horror or monster movies or anime or uh, sentai or any of these things where they're already kind of targeted at their audience? I could see that as being something that could work out. Really, we can't say more on this until we see what they're going to offer up. If they're going to just try to offer up a Netflix light, it's not going to work. But if they really go off to the left go field for the extremes. and go for the weird, the weird trauma shit. films and shit like that, yeah, okay. then I think this could work for them. Sure. Yeah, like, I don't know, like those like 70s Italian horror movies, you know, right. the, the rights to them have to be so cheap <laughs> that it wouldn't matter anyway, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Alright, we'll see what happens, good old games. I mean, I, I wish them the best, I just hope they have a, a good idea going in what, what, what they want to do with it. Yeah, but Amazon Prime and Netflix, it, it ain't gonna be. No, no. That's for sure. But that's maybe not what we want it to be. <laughs> Um, it's not the uh, website we deserve. Or the, what is it? <laughs> I don't, I don't it's know. It's the website we need. Deserves we deserve. <laughs> what we deserve, what we need. Uh, all right. So uh, Pat has had me introduce uh, three in a row. So we'll talk about Quake Live. Quake Live is a first-person shooter. It's a version of Quake um, that you can get through Steam. And uh, they just announced today that they are going to be making a bunch of new player-friendly updates in uh, the next update. Um, is this based on the Quake 3 Arena engine going I, back or, or gameplay? I'm not familiar with Quake. It looked like I it. Mean, I mean, Quake 3 Arena it. was the last Quake game that mattered. Yeah, no one I, gave a I, shit I, about Quake 4. I played Quake 3 Arena a lot. So did I, I. I don't know what this one is. But it probably is related to that because that's the most famous version. Right. That's what I'm okay. guessing. So anyways, they're making a lot of newbie-friendly challenge, uh, newbie-friendly um, changes to the in this next update, such as being able to select your loadout, uh, which, <laughs> if you know anything about Quake, being able to select your loadout upon spawn is a huge boon in your favor. Um, visible timers on things like health packs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, uh, oh, and simplified controls was another. Yeah, you'd thing be able to bunny hop easier. You'll be able to bunny so, hop easier. So there's no. So you can do the double hop. Yeah. In Quake, um, like you can in Unreal Tournament as well, which they took from Unreal. Quake, but you can top once and hop again while you're at the top of your jump. Yeah, and and it also helps you gain speed. Uh, so these are things that they're adding to the update, and and, ti- and timers to items. Yeah, that's on a heads Ti- up display, which is weird. Timers to items, which I guess until I actually see it or if I ever see it, I, I don't quite get that. All I'm going to say is this: a lot of people are freaking angry about it, and I understand because. I play fighting games, and I suck at fighting games, okay? I also like chess. I suck at chess. But you only learn by getting your ass kicked multiple times. I mean, that's how you learn how to play these games really well, including a first-person shooter. Um, That said, they have mentioned that you can play this game without any of the updated changes in a classic mode. Yet we have all these people who are whining and crying about how they're going to go back to classic mode, or they're going to go back to Quake 3, and they're going to leave this game far behind 
because of these changes. Personally, I don't see what there is to get upset about as long as you can opt out of these changes. It gives it gives a newbie it, it gives a newbie friendly experience and it also gives you the same game you've always known. The only problem I would have with this is um if you make too many changes that are newbie friendly. And Capcom used to do this with some of their fighting games. If you make too many changes that are newbie friendly, uh when that person decides to jump into the real game, they okay. are they're still starting from scratch. Yeah. They are going to be wholeheartedly unprepared. I can see why the purists are upset about this because they start off playing Quake Three, and the learning curve on a first-person shooter is strange, um, because you actually, if you get your ass kicked, you actually don't learn that much. You have to get your ass kicked by someone that's same level, somewhat better, well, not godlike to you. Sure, same as the, fighting games. That, so that's you have, what I'm saying. so you have, so you have a fighting chance to gain a little bit more and more. I played against my my cousin for probably three or four years in a real tournament. And I started off decimating him until I realized I had to go easier on him. Go easier on him so he can sort of level up in his own weight to sort of be competitive. And at the end, he couldn't beat me, but he was a lot better than where he started. He wouldn't have learned that with a like cheesy, to me, sort of easy, quote-unquote, noob mode, which, again, it doesn't teach you how to play. Because when you're playing Deathmatch... You don't. The whole point of deathmatch is momentum based. You don't start with items. You have to scramble to build to items and survive. You have to the, learn the best route. You have to. You, you have, have to know. See, I'm not a big deathmatch fan. When I played Unreal Tournament, it was mostly playing the assault mode or playing, playing something called Tam, which is more mm-hmm. of a competitive uh, mod, which is a great mod, which starts you out with all weapons and one death you're out for that round. Right. Which is different than this. This is deathmatch, adding in you starting with weapons, which to me eliminates the point of deathmatch entirely. Because if I get killed. There's no consequence to me getting killed anymore if I start out with a lightning gun and a rocket launcher. Every time. There's no consequence. It's almost as if, like, you, b- getting killed, you don't have to worry about as much. The urgency to your life now in a first-person shooter, which is what all what a first-person shooter is now, is now eliminated. It now becomes a shooting fest. So we talked about before about dichotomy of players and splitting players up with Smash Brothers. This, to me, is now... This, to me, is even worse... Because with this, this changes this this changes like the whole meaning of the game, like entirely. Not just not having items, but now, like you said, you can't even play the other mode at all. You'll get destroyed. You absolutely will get decimated. Well, I, I guess that's my thing. I don't understand the purists' objection to it because the purists can still go play. Because I would I would understand the purists' objection if playing on this easy mode gave you any sort of leg up when you decided well, to go play the real game. It's not going to. You're just breeding something that's unnecessary. That's what it comes down to. Yes, yes. That, that's my argument. You're breeding something where you're going to have all these players playing these games on these servers that are never going to play the classic. You're, you're creating two Yes, exactly. And I, I, as I do with this match, I'm always against that because then it's like us versus them. You're going to have people say, you're, you play that mode, you're a fucking noob because it's basically a noob Play mode. It, it's basically what it is. I basically yeah. admitted that. No, I mean, so, I played Quake 3 Arena for most of the time that I played Quake 3 Arena, losing. And I had fun, and by the end of it, I got better at it. And for all the fucking people who, like, rail on me because I don't like first-person shooters, I loved plenty of first-person shooters. Yeah, I thought Quake, Quake 3 Arena was definitely one I, of I them. I thought Quake 3 Arena was fine. I don't think it was nuanced or as enjoyable as uh, Unreal Tournament 2004, but I still enjoyed it. I, yep. still, I, I still liked it for what it was. Yeah, you and I are on slightly different sides of the coin. I liked Unreal, but I preferred Quake. 
There you go. Um, but yeah, anyways, I, I... Why can't we be on any one side tonight? <laughs> well, because that's what makes us a good podcast. So anyways, let's just move on. It's your turn to intro a segment. Even though that's I it. feel like I should be introing the... Ter- well, no. Because it's not a PC Engine segment, so... Aww, just, yeah. go. just go. <laughs> just so, go. So, so two weeks ago, <laughs> we had a podcast two weeks ago. Every two weeks, Wednesday night, we record the CU podcast. The day after the last podcast was actually the, the 25th anniversary of the release of the U.S. Sega Genesis Mega Drive in Europe and Japan. Two weeks later, tomorrow, August 29th, uh, 1989... 25th anniversary of the release of the TurboGrafx-16, the U.S. version of the PC Engine. So we're going to start to talk about, we're not going to go into delve into this that much. We're going to talk about, though, what did that mean at the time to me and to Ian when you had two real competitive systems come out and try to at least give the NES a run for its money? And I remember it quite fondly uh, because there were a decent amount of advertisements um, on the TV for the Genesis, and I remember seeing a decent amount uh, for the TurboGrafx-16. Now, the TurboGrafx-16, much to his detriment, and we talked about, I've talked about the marketing scheme, which was terrible, they only put it out in major markets. Uh, Northern Jersey, where I lived, Central Jersey, was a major market. It was close up to New York, New York City that you could find them. Not in every store, but Toys R Us's, Toys R R, to- Toys R I, Toys R Us's did have TurboGrafx-16s where I lived, and also some of the other Toys stores. Toys are we. Toys are we. There you go. Um, and so, I think it was interesting because you were four years after the NES. You're a little bit older. Maybe you want something new. So I think that was good. And plus, the Genesis was a damn fine system, as was, was the Turbo, that now we have real competition. We joked last week about what would have happened if Nintendo played fair against the 7800 and Sega Master System. We kind of concluded that we're not sure much would have changed. The NES probably still would have dominated. Maybe not to that extent, but they still would have dominated. But now we have a time where other game companies now have a chance to, you know, come into the u.s home market right it's you know okay so these these companies come out with their systems and unlike the atari 7800 which was basically laughed off the lunch table um the genesis and the turbo graphics it was show us what you have and i was lucky enough to have uh one uh rich friend who was an asshole (laughs) Um, who he was he was but i put up with him for his video games uh who had both and I was blown away by both. I, I really liked both systems. I think I probably liked the Turbo Graphics more, um, but the Genesis stuck with me too. To the point where the Genesis was, I think, the first system I bought with my own money. I think it might have been a Game Boy, but the Genesis was next, and it was only because the Genesis had lasted. But it was the first time as a kid because when 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 you're a kid, you you tend to live in your own little insular world. You get your Nintendo power. You have your Nintendo. Nintendo is all you know. And then you see, holy crap, there's all these other companies coming out with games and video games are about to blow up and they're about to get huge. And I think that's what was exciting at the time was going over to my buddy's house for an afternoon and eating ham and cheese sandwiches and playing Bonk's Adventure and being like, this is different. This feels different. This looks different. Sounds different. Sounds different. Everything looks about good. it was very different. Then you played Altered Beast, which a lot of people hate, but I still actually like no, Altered Beast. I like Altered Beast. I like Altered Beast a lot. And I, I really like Altered Beast. And, you know, you play that and it's just like, you know, you, you just, you see a hobby at a young age. Um, you see it about to evolve and you realize it's going to turn into something more. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think was most interesting as far as the legacies 
Um, the TurboGrafx Legacy, it was kind of... It, 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 TurboGrafx tur- was popular for about a year, year and a yeah, half. Yeah, TurboGrafx, the legacy of the TurboGrafx is more of a modern story. And it's more of a modern collector's story, aside from people like myself and a few of my friends who have been, you know, diehard fans of Turbo and PC Engine forever. Um, you know, it didn't really leave a legacy until it became the hot item to collect. But the Genesis, the Genesis did an amazing job of getting an install base in really exciting customers, and it even gave the Super Nintendo a run for and, its money. And, and the Genesis was the first gaming icon after Mario. Yeah, with Sonic, Sonic the, the Hedgehog. Hedgehog. Uh, so the, the, I looked at the Genesis at like WCW versus WF. There was a time when they were beating Nintendo and gave it a run for its money, but then they faltered, obviously, with too many uh, unnecessary consoles within within a few years. I hate yeah. you for coming up with that analogy but, because that's perfect. And I, <laughs> it and, is. and I wish I could have come up with that because <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Genesis was the WCW to any other, or, uh, Nintendo's. Yeah, um, they put Super out they Nintendo. put out just as good or a better product for a period of time, whether it was two to three years, mm-hmm. and then they just got overconfident. Here comes the Sega CD. Here comes the 32X. We'll do a third one. Here comes the Sega Saturn all within like three years. And it's like, what the yeah. hell just happened? And then and, and then it was like... What happened? Like, they, they, they had it, right? They had it. They had it. And then they signed a bunch of good wrestlers and they booked them real well and they released the Dreamcast, but no one fucking <laughs> cared at that point. Yeah, at that point. point, it was too too late. The so Google's gone. We, we, ladies and gentlemen, we have no wrestling talk tonight, <laughs> so we're going to make wrestling analogies. Let's talk about the release titles. I have it up here. <laughs> all right. uh, and actually, surprisingly... I only guessed a couple of these as launch titles. The Genesis didn't have a strong launch title. No. It came with Altered Beast. Last until- Battle was one of them. Last Battle, Space Harrier 2, Super Thunder Blade, Thunder Force 2, and Tomulus Sword of Baseball. Those, that was the U.S. launch titles. That's it. No Super Hang-On? That probably came out a, little, a few months later. If you look at the first year... I was about to we, cheer. We just looked at video game years for 1989. Yeah, you're right. There was no real big hits... You know what I mean? If you want to say Thunder Force 2 was a big hit, I don't think it was. No. They had no, a lot. No, 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 no. Thunder Force 2 fucking sucks. And so does. Did you say Space Harrier 2? Space Harrier 2. Yeah, that's awful. But too. these weren't games. When you think of the Genesis, these aren't the games you think of besides Alter Beast because it was a pack launch title. If it wasn't, no one would give a shit about it, honestly. But um, the first sort of uh, six months of the Genesis was a lot of sports titles, which was important, though, because the Genesis is lauded for its sports titles versus the Super Nintendo, which did poorer up for sports titles. Right. Which, it, which was good. It was That was enough to get into a lot of teenagers even home. if you even if you get into the period of time where the super nintendo is beating the genesis ask anyone what system had the better nhl games better ea uh ea uh, football madden games yeah or the, the better nhl ba- better but, baseball games all of them oh world series baseball any any version of that game was fantastic i mean the biggest the biggest baseball game on the super nintendo was ken griffey junior baseball and that's like a, that's it's okay super better up is pretty fun but, I mean, in terms of a simulation, yeah, no. they really didn't have it. Well, it was all in the Sega Genesis. The interesting thing about the Genesis, too, and I don't think it's brought up enough when you talk about the Genesis's legacy, is I think it was an easy way for um, maybe PC gamers to transition into console games. Because EA... They had a lot of... You're right. Releases EA went computer. out of their way... Mm-hmm. And uh, to, to in other companies, too. Like Westwood did a bunch... Maybe it wasn't Westwood. A bunch of companies did... Ports of various PC RPGs, sort of Sodan uh, games like that, sort of Sodan. Um, the uh, all of the uh, flight simulators, 
Um, You're but right. The fight, the simulators, and the RPGs really were a grab at the PC market. I wow, think. I never thought about it. Uh, wow, that's a really great point. The Super Nintendo, yeah, there wasn't uh, to that extent. You did have an Ultima uh, on that, but those were years afterwards, right? And they were they were you butchered. Know. You know, the the, the ports you got on the the Genesis, you know, they were fairly close. Um, there's even a version of a. Uh, Oh God, King's Bounty on the Genesis, which plays fantastically, which is the first in the series of the Heroes of Might and Magic series. Like, they really did, like, okay, you didn't buy a Nintendo because you think this is kiddie stuff, but check out this F-117 stealth bomber game that we've got for you. you know? and, and the Sega Genesis was, like we said, it was a WCW. It, it, it did punch Nintendo right in, the, right in the mouth. Yeah. And because that was a point where Nintendo didn't look invincible, largely because of their anti-violence, anti-blood, with Mortal Kombat and Super Nintendo, which was a debacle, and Genesis said, "Hey, we're we're the we're the system for teenagers. You're the kitty console, Nintendo," um, and that stuck for a very, very, very long time. Some people say even now. The blood, the Sims, it it, it it portrayed itself, even if it was in a brash and kind of annoying way. It definitely portrayed itself as an adult console, and I I think that worked in its favor. It worked for a good five years. Yeah, for for quite some time. Yeah. Now, Telegraph sixteen. We'll talk about its launch titles real quick. Um, Half of these I knew. Half it's like these are the ones. These are the games when you find a stash of Telegraph 16 of some reason in your store, or, or or the three times I found them in a swap meet. You're gonna find Alien Crush, China Warrior, Dungeon Explorer, most likely Keith Courage and Alpha Zones, which was the packing title, Power Golf, R Type, Legendary Axe, Victory Run, and Vigilante. So most I, of those are very good though. They are, and I had um, three or four of those. I had Legendary Axe, which was the first big game on the system before Bonk. The same way, uh, you know, you had Ultra Beast was a big game before Sonic the Hedgehog. That was that, because Keith Courage is, is pretty average. Legend, I like Keith Courage. I like it too, but it's average. It, it's repetitive. Yeah. Yeah, it's repetitive, but I like it. Um, Legendary Axe was good, not as good as the sequel, but it was a game. It, 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 it was. It won awards when it came out. It showed off the system yes. very well. Alien Crush is phenomenal. I sometimes think I like it better than Devil's Crush. I I can never make up my mind. China Warriors. The bad. only the only weak one in that bunch really is China, China Warrior Warriors and bad. Power Golf. Yeah, China, uh, I'm not. I, I haven't even played. I don't even play Power Golf before. I it's have. A, it's I like a standard I like, golf game. It's like NES I, golf. I, no, it's just I like golf games, but it's not a good one. China Warrior though was did, used to show off. It, did do a service. Yeah, it, it showed, showed off the graphic potential. And their commercials, I still remember these commercials making fun. Wow, Tour Graphics and Genesis just took shots at Nintendo, like open shots across the bow. Because <laughs> China Warrior, I talked about this in my Tour Graphics Christmas special. Uh, China Warrior, they compared against Kung Fu. Yeah. And how literally China Warrior, the guy's almost the entire screen. And, and Kung Fu, he's so small. Now, of course, it's not fair because Kung Fu was a game that came out like you know seven years before. But you know, well, but, <laughs> Kung Fu was more fun, and Vigilante is the follow-up to Kung Fu. That's the funny part. Yeah. And that's why it's on video. Vigilante is the same. It's Irem, and it's a follow-up. They should have compared that. Right. And Vigilante is actually fun. But you can't yeah. pit one of your launch games against I, another no, one I rem- of your launch I remember games. I like, what they did what? <laughs> you know. <laughs> But the legacy, like we said, the legacy of the Turbo Graphics was it was popular for probably a good year and a half before the Genesis really got its foothold and emerged as the dominant 16-bit system. Now, technically, the Turbo Graphics team was only 8-bit, but it's, it looks like 16-bit. So that's how 8 we did it. 8-bit with a 16-bit graphics but processor. It had a tur- it had the, the Turbo CD, which came out in 90, which was, what, three, four years before the, for the Sega CD version. So that's really its legacy is that. I, everyone in the and store. And the shooters, uh, yeah. Everyone in the store loves to come in and be like, that's a Sega CD. That's the first CD system. And it's just like, I usually just bite my tongue, but sometimes I'm like, no, you're wrong. You just punch Mario in the nose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It's all yeah. your fault, you little... It wasn't even, though. No, they were on computers. Bef- yeah. Before, well, yeah. You know, yeah you right. Can, you can get a computer CD-ROM. Actually, by 90, yeah, you can get them. They're expensive. But no, that's the legacy. It, it, the TurboGrafx um, took chances and risks before... You know, it took chances with the CD add-on, which was expensive, but it did, and the Turbo Express was a huge risk that, unfortunately, was too expensive. It was having a mini system. You know, if, if they came out with just that as the system itself, that probably would have been bad. And it made look up to the TV. It's sad because I know we're not talking about the Japanese release, but, you know, the, the PC Engine took risks, too, you mm-hmm. know, as being the first CD-ROM system. And uh, that's what gave that system its nearly infinite lifespan. I mean, they released games all the way up until, like, 96 or some stupid shit like that on yeah. the... Uh, on the Turbo CD. It was a zombie-based game. It might have even been later than that. It was a visual novel. But still, I mean, CD... Like, adopting CD early on was a wise move for Way NEC. Early. Yeah, they were doing not, things that... Not here, but overseas. That was a big yeah, deal. so they were doing stuff while... Before even the Super Famicom was even out. Uh-huh. They were doing CD games. So think about that. Think about that. While you still had the Famicom, which by then was like six years old in Japan, you had CD games with full motion, you know, sound and some video. So... All right, I'm happy. I, I you know, I, I keep the Genesis. I like the Genesis. I'm I just I don't have the exposure to it that I had the NES, obviously. Oh, people gave you some crap last week. Oh, yeah? <laughs> people gave you some crap. Like, oh, if you don't like the Genesis, why would you buy this or that? Why would you buy Genesis? God, YouTube comments are the best. Moving on. So, Smash Brothers lineup was leaked, and this is actually kind of fun. Some of it's pretty exciting. Some of it, yeah, I mean... Not so much, but... So, if you haven't heard, Dr. Mario, I'm thumbs up on that. Dark Pit, thumbs up. Elf is one of Olimar's costumes. Eh. Shulk never played Xenoblade Chronicles. Bowser Jr. I'm becoming more and more of a fan of Bowser Jr. That could be a fun character to play as. I'm not a fan of these Jr. and baby characters. It's a waste of space. Baby, I don't like, but Bowser Jr. is different. It's actually his kid. Um, (laughs) Okay, all right. um, Ness from Earthbound, I want to be in there so that all the Earthbound players are happy. You mean Lucas? Uh... No, everyone asks for Ness. Ness is confirmed, though. I thought no, no, he Ness, wasn't. He's, in, Ness, he's been in every Ness, game. Ness has not been confirmed yet. What? Yeah. Oh, not Rue's officially. gonna be upset. Rue is upset. Everyone's upset. Ness is Ness has been in every game. Um, the dog from Duck Hunt would be great. Mister Game and Watch would be awesome. Rob would be great. I love to see Rob back. And uh, Wario would be pretty cool too. I actually kind of like Wario. He has more personality than Mario. Um. A lot of these, I think, are repeats. Dr. Mario was just a costume swap in uh, Brawl. Um, I hate Ness, costume swaps. They N- just... Ness has always been there. Why well, have their Mr. own space? Game, Mr. Game & Watch has been there, and Rob has been there. But I don't think Wario's ever been a part of it. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, um, I he was in Brawl. I love Kid Icarus, so Dark Pit will be cool. Um, the is, that, is that a swap or is it a pal swap or is that? That should. Okay. I, well, I would hope it would have some move changes because I, I I don't like having the space. Just have the pal swap on the guy, like in Fire Pro, Hollywood Hogan and Hulk Hogan aren't the yeah. same. They're the same character. You left, swap, left, the, left, right, 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 right. Push their outfit out. But anyway, that's again wrestling is is cr- crawling into every subject. <laughs> we can't Partly talk the, about it at length this yeah. week, so we're going to but discuss. This is like forty five characters. This is a huge roster. Yeah, I don't know what the roster was for Brawl. I think it was fifty something. Holy crap! Yeah, it was That's, insane. Once you get up past twenty five, it's big. But honestly, I've been playing Ultra Street Fighter Four lately, which has forty four, and it's just like that's enough characters. So 
I would love to see the dog from Duck Hunt. Um, this is this is very cool. Sonic back, yeah. Mega Man, we all, know all those characters are back. So this is kind of a short segment, but these are. I think these are going to make a lot well, of people happy, especially especially Ness. Well, this doesn't include the possibility of DLC down the line. No, no, it doesn't. And I think this year we have a very strong case of this being the first Smash that'll have DLC characters, which is a shame in some respects. Well. I it is, but I want to save that conversation for uh, yes. Mario Kart. two two topics down. Yeah, Mario yeah. Kart. But but I think it's interesting that uh, I don't think uh, I I don't know much about Brawl, but I do know that Rob wasn't played by a lot of people. I, I don't believe. So it's interesting that Nintendo's not just shelving these characters, but they're bringing them back. Well, I mean, you know, they could. I mean, as much as I dislike a lot of what Capcom does, maybe Nintendo is starting to treat this items or not as something legitimate. Maybe they're going to bring Rob back and rebalance them. Maybe they're going to eliminate moves and add better moves. They're going to make a lot of these characters more workable. Um, I'm hoping that if they're bringing Dr. Mario back, I don't just get a pallet swap yeah, of that's, Mario. That's I get cheap. A, no, no, let, let me throw a fucking pill at yes, a guy. Yeah. Viruses come out and like, yeah, attack. I, right, precisely. So. I would be so pissed if I picked Dr. Mario and he's just Mario. and an out, like, What the hell's the point? <laughs> I don't understand that. So I'm looking forward to seeing what, what becomes of this, but I think this is a pretty cool list to add to what we already know is going to be included in the game. Do not see Excitebike guy yet. That's who I'm holding out hope for. He's an assist, you can't. I want Excitebike what guy. Are you gonna, what moves are you going to give him? He rides gonna, a bike. He runs really quickly when he's off the bike. Little punches. He'll put out platforms. A platform comes up in front. A, a hill he can go up for a second jump. You're fucking um, ridiculous. You are ridiculous. It took you a year to figure Act, that out? Well, actually, I do like that idea. The platform, see? Is the your jump, up the top? The yeah. double jump with see? the rep. That's, I'm going to get like you that. on board. I like I'm that. going to get you on board. I like that. <laughs> Pat, talk about comics, because Vani's not here. Oh. Uh, so, we don't usually talk about comic book sales, but this is interesting, because this is now the most expensive comic. I think the last one sold for $1.8 million or something. So, $3.2 million dollars. The highest grade of an Action Comics number one, CGC graded uh, 9.0, went for on eBay. And this was verified, pre-verified bidders, so this is the actual sale price. So, Action Comics number one, if you do not know, is the first appearance of Superman, who was the first superhero. This technically is the first superhero it's, comic. It's the first appearance of comics. It's basically. not a comics, but, know, but uh, yeah, superheroes. Yeah, 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 exactly. There are comics going back at the early 30s. I'm, I'm just saying... But, Comic-Con style, you know. Superhero comics started with Action Comics. It's the most important comic book of all time. There's, a, there's only, I believe there's only one other copy that's been graded at 9.0, and this is 9.0. This is this is untouched. This isn't... This there's wasn't, one other 9.0? I believe there could be a 9.0, but that could be um, restored. This is not restored, okay. though. Yeah, I... Th- Unrestored comics, you might as well be shit compared to their counterpart. Unrestored no, 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 comics... No, no, no. Re- Unrestored comics... Oh, com- I'm yeah. sorry. Restored comics, the purple, the purple ones. Restored comics, you can go to Comic Con and get the restored comic um, for half the value, basically, of its counterpart. They're because, garbage. Which is a shame because sometimes they're very minor restorations. Sometimes they can be like maybe someone put a piece of tape here, or maybe someone did like a little piece here. There's not like grades to the restoration. It's just a purple label. It's shit. That's how people think. Yeah, but yeah. it's like antiques, and I brought this yes. up before, and people tried to argue me, but. More often than not, a restored antique is just not going to be worth as much as an unrestored antique. 
it works in some things. It works for cars. It doesn't because you have to function. Right, to be functional. sure. But I'm Combos, just no. So it's a beautiful copy. It was kept, I believe it was like West Virginia in high altitude in the cedar drawer. So it was like no humidity. It was, you know what I mean? It was like the perfect way. Like you look at it, it looks brand, almost brand new. Um, so it's important because people argue all the time on forums, video game forums, that they want their video games to be worth this much. They're not going to be. And I say that owning the game that could be worth this much, potentially, it ain't happening, folks. Comic books are totally different in grain or culture than, than retro video games are. They're it's, also made out of paper. Exactly. So... I mean, that's the big thing. Like, I look at the beautiful gift that Vani got me for my birthday, right? Which is a graded um, issue number four of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. And... I look at it and I'm in awe of it because even the cover of something like that is paper stock. It's basically a zine. Then you look at something like, you know, an action comics and it's probably the same because at that point you don't have thicker coverage. You, you know, this yeah. is, this is pulp stuff that's handed out to kids, you know, and to have something that's in that kind of condition it's insane. I'm sorry, video game collectors. You are never no. going to get to that point. And plus, you're dealing with right afterwards, we entered the war in 41, or right. War II, and at that point, people were recycling basically their paper. They were giving it up oh, yeah. for the war effort. So the first thing that went, besides newspaper, people that are constantly around, and that's why it's so hard to find Golden Age comics. Yeah. Especially from the late 30s to 40s, because people just gave it up for the war effort. You gave up rubber and paper and things like that. That was that was a huge deal. People's daily lives. We don't talk about this. gave up a lot of food. This too. Is, this is a totally different conversation. But that war was felt by every citizen because yes. they gave up. You lived on the West Coast. You really had to paint the top of your you know the lights on your car. You you did stuff like that for your for your, your headlights. Anyway, so this will never happen with video games for a few reasons. It's not video, retro video games are never going to be ingrained in the same culture as Spider Man. Batman, it's just not going to happen. It, it, you might think it, it is, but you go to anyone, you go to anyone living in the world, they'll know who Superman is. They're not going to know at any point what a Nintendo World Championship card is. That ain't happening. No. Wish it could. Wish I could sell my card for a million dollars twenty years from now. Not happening. Um, the other thing is that the visceral re- visceral reaction when you see that comic. We were talking about this before. Comic books are are artwork, literally. Yes. I don't consider Danny Sullivan's indie the heat. As much as I love the game, it's not artwork. It's a fantastic game. What that what that entity is, what the meaning of that game, and what the feeling you get from that is when you play it. Yeah. That's separate than the artwork on it. On a comic book, the artwork is that entity. Yeah. Now there is a story inside of it, yes, but it's what that's but, the representation but, of that artwork. But it's the physical rep- yes. It's the physical representation of it. It's um, it's like it's like why you have prints. Of famous artwork, like yes. I have, I have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number four in a couple of different forms, including a hardback anthology. I don't need to open my exactly right because it's just it's there. I know it's there. It you, means you see, like the the most expensive comics are iconic. Their covers are iconic. Amazing Fantasy fifteen, Avengers number four, and well, Captain America. Do you, have the, do you have the turtle? Because that's the thing I love about my turtles number four. The cover of Turtles number four was redrawn and re-inked for the NES video game. Like it's that that these things action, are Action Comics number one was Superman throwing the, the car. car. <laughs> that's insane. That, that's just insane. Imagine never reading a comic. Imagine not knowing what a superhero was before seeing that comic. 
holy shit, why is there a guy being able to throw a car? You don't know what you never heard. Of, <laughs> no, I'm serious. You never heard of a superhero before. You never heard of right. anything fictional. You had pulp heroes. You've got detectives. You, the, you, had, the, you... you had the shadow. You had the Phantom, but they weren't superheroes. They didn't have these huge superpowers like Superman flying around shooting laser beams and super strength. Well, the Phantom wasn't the same. sneak around, you know? You, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you know? You had super detectives. Yes. Super they... sleuths, and you had uh, horror comics. And that's basically and Tarzan. What, yeah, that's basically what you had. You had pulp stuff, yeah. So just that alone, that's why this is $3.2 million. See, when I look at Danny Sullivan's Indie Heat, you, you don't see the majesty and grace of, of, it, of the game experience. From the simple, you don't. No, no, you have so, to play it. You have to play Danny Sullivan's Indie Heat. So, while in my heart, this may be worth three point two million dollars, the game cart never will be. Sorry, stumbling Danny. on my word a little bit. That's all right. It's her birthday. And Vonnie is in the chat, by the way. Oh, is she? Hi, she said, that, she said there has been superheroes before Superman, Pat. There might have been prototypes. Is Vonnie going to school me on this? I don't, she probably. Can, I know there was. Man, I but... know there was a Superman prototype. In in a comic before, but it was not a super. It was not Superman. It was a prototype that the the creator thought of and put in. I'm not going. Come to on, Vonnie. Though Bonnie. Action Comics number one is considered the first superhero comic. Vonnie, large by and large, Vonnie. Come on, Vonnie. <laughs> I will challenge you. I'll do chat too here. Okay. Um, we talked about DLC for Mario Kart last week, coming up um, as Mercedes Benz cars that, along with updates. That you can download them. It's not paid for. It's something extra. Nice okay. little updates. So here's my take on this. And and the Mercedes-Benz barely counts. It's an advertisement promo um, DLC. Um, there have been two sets of Mario Kart paid DLC announced. Uh, with new racers, carts, and courses. $8 for one or $12 for both. If you up buy front, both up front, Yes. Um, that's how Nintendo has done their DLC recently. I'm a big fan of Mario Golf World Tour on the uh, 3DS. Okay. That's how they did their uh, DLC for that. You buy them all up front, you get a discount. You buy them separately, you pay full price. So, you're getting three new racers and eight new courses each. Personally, I think for the $12 up front, that's a really good deal. Because you're going to end up with six new racers... And 16 Tracks. new courses. So you're basically doubling your game experience. You're, yeah, which is insane. Um, I'm going to buy it, and I'm okay with it. Because the amount of fun I've had with Mario... This is how I always, this is how I always justify it. The amount of fun I've had with Mario Kart is enough to justify an extra $12 to double my experience. Here's my problem with, with DLC like this. And this goes back to... Um, Smash Brothers, which is why I said wait. Um, in competitive games, I do not like it when DLC splits a fan base. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't always have to. Um, because the, someone can get a leg up using a new character, getting used to it. it it's not even like just that. that, but it's it's it depends on how they work the online play. So take Call of Duty, for instance. Um, and I can only take Call of Duty 4 because it's the only one that I actively played online. The first Modern Warfare. Yeah. When you bought an ex when you bought an expansion pack, um, you had to play in rooms with people who had that expansion pack, and they would randomly pick from those courses, uh, rooms, fields, whatever you want. Um, 
Then there were great games like uh, Snoopy's Air Combat on Xbox Live Arcade, which you can laugh all you want, and I'm a Peanuts fan, but it was basically a follow-up to Crimson Skies, which was a well-loved uh, like arcade air combat game for the Xbox. As long as the person who was hosting had the DLC, you could play the new the new levels. So... I think a lot of people are going to probably willingly plop down for this, but I don't know what Nintendo's going to do. It, it's going to yeah. be interesting to see. I don't, I don't, because I play with a set group of people regularly when I play Mario Kart 8, mm-hmm. and if they don't have the money for it, I don't want to leave them behind. Yeah, I don't know. One of the things about this is weird because this is the first time I, I think about, well, this is the first time Nintendo is really delving this much with the, this pot, I know you mentioned like a 3DS golf game, but these are Mario Kart's their killer app for the Wii sure, U. It is. And Smash is going to be the other killer yeah. app. So now you're in a situation where again you're going to be able, you're going to be splitting people. So what's going to what's going to happen if you buy the tracks and I don't? Will I be able to even enter your room? Will, will you be able to select the race and I'll download it real quick just to play it online? Well, that's what how I'm, will that work? That's what I'm getting. Or will I be, not be able to get in the room? You know, because I don't. Like, it's it to me it sounds like a mess. Like I said, it, it depends on which way they go. Or it, or it, does, or is it not selectable unless everyone has it right in the room? Which right. then you'll never be able to play it then. Which is another possibility. Yeah. And and yeah, that possibility is the worst possibility of them yeah. all. Um, like I said, you know, I've seen two extreme examples of this: Call of Duty. You have to have it, or you can't play with that person. Snoopy's Ace Combat, as long as the person who's creating the room has it, you can play the game. I don't know what Nintendo's going to do. I don't know. I, I hate I hope to say they err on the ladder. Huh? I hope they err on, on the ladder. Yeah, yeah, but my feeling is Nintendo's going to assume everyone's going to just pick it up. I mean, I, they, they're offering it at a really fucking reasonable price. Yeah. Dude, the Mario Golf DLC was way more expensive. My only problem is that they're, they're, the first the first one's uh, November, which it will include. You get, you, you'll get Link. Let's see. Who are you going to get in the first one? First pack, you're going to get Tanuki Mario, Cat Peach, you will like that, and Link. Four vehicles and eight courses. That's in November. Cat Peach is fine, but I really want Isabelle from Animal Crossing. And then uh, the Mario Kart 8 Pack 2 in May... A full six months later, yeah. which is a little weird, but it's good that they're supporting no, it. No, I, I feel like it's you're that's a get, good thing. You're gonna get Villager, Isabel, Dry Bowser, and both are gonna get four courses and four, excuse me, four vehicles and eight courses. So you're gonna get two circuits in each. So yeah, yeah, the game comes with four circuits. After you get these two packs, you're gonna have eight circuits, which is insane, insane, insane amount of tracks. Yeah, I think it's a really good deal for the money. I just I hope they handle it properly. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm I mean I I like playing this game. We we've yet to play yet. I've heard about your masterful. Mario Kart skills. I'm amazing. I am the best. (laughs) I am number one. So we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I think I don't like, in general, you know I don't like paid DLC just because that's the way it's gone for every major franchise. I I I know it's how they make money now, but if this has this value where you're basically getting a second game for $12... Same that to me. Okay, I can live with that. <laughs> That's my thing too. Like I don't like paid DLC, but if I've enjoyed, if I feel like I'm shorted a game, and I don't feel like I was shorted anything with Mario no. Kart Eight, and you want to offer me fifty percent more for twelve dollars, yeah, I'm gonna fucking throw down for it. But I better be able to play with my friends who can't throw down for it. 
Plus, I'm making the assumption that this is not DLC already on the freaking disc you just unlocked. I, um, I, I highly doubt that. Yeah, I, I think if the, that was the case, it would have been exposed. I already. would think that with with the amount of how well polished these tracks are, that they weren't working on 32 tracks at one time would be an insane amount to work on versus yeah, the 16. There's no way that this is on disc. So, and if I'm wrong, I'll eat my words, but I just don't see it as being on disc. All right, all right. So I'm Pat, excited, Pat. Hit us, hit us with the, the big segment. The big the big one. We haven't done this in like a, a month. <laughs> but it's time for the scumbag, scumbag, scumbag. Salad, salad, salad. Of the week, 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 week. So, of course, it has to come back to reproduction <laughs> fucking manuals and boxes. Have we learned anything in the year on the CU podcast? Well, in Brazil, there's a seller... Selling sets of Flintstone Dinosaur Peak Custom. Now they say cases, but it's a box and manual for $20 plus $6 shipping. They are gross. Can we uh, blow out their name? The seller is NES underscore world on eBay. And maybe just like the first asshole reseller I called out, maybe they'll make boxes with my face on it. (laughs) I would like to say that NES underscore world. You are a number seven on the Bristol scale. If you don't know what the Bristol scale is, that means you are a completely liquid shit. Oh, oh, th- oh, there's more? Oh, there's more. There's more. So you can buy a Snow Brothers combo pack of getting, it looks like a, looks like a box, manual, and a custom label. So you can get the whole set. It's right there. They also offer the little Samson set. Uh, a Mega Man 6 set, DuckTales 2, and Final Fight, Might have, Might have Final Fight, and the list goes on and on with other Super Nintendo and Nintendo games. Jesus fucking Christ. You are a horrible person. Enjoy. People. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I said it time and time again. Well, he's again. a completely unsolid stool. He, <laughs> he just slips right on out. He, he's just—he's he's a, to- a total liquid mess of human waste. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I just want it for my collection. <laughs> All right, hate me, hate me on YouTube. I don't care. They don't call me Pat the NES uh, nice guy. They call me the punk for a reason. Uh, <laughs> punk my ass. All I- right, Q and A. On oh this, boy! On this lovely one-year anniversary podcast. This has been a fine podcast. It, it's been a fine podcast. We haven't even got over our best moments from the past year. We'll do that at the end. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. I'm gonna lead this one off. What? Okay. At Gutsant one, how did Pat convince Ian to do a podcast when he was reluctant to appear in Pat's videos? Did Pat beg on his knees? How did that come about, Ian? I actually don't fully even remember. I don't fully remember either. Here's what I kind of remember of it, because I I saw So we're talking August of last year. Yeah. Basically, we had briefly, briefly discussed the possibility of a podcast. Because you wanted me to do... You were kind of like, you should do more content. I'm like, I don't really want to. I wanted to do Ian's happy handhelds. I I know. Pat, get over it. (laughs) Um... Maybe someday. <laughs> and uh, we had discussed the podcast because your your vlog, you just you were kind of done with it. You weren't having yes. fun with it. I used to do a monthly vlog where I would just talk about whatever, answer questions. It was unorganized. 
It was it, really long. It was like two hours. Three hours. What, did, you, did you watch it? Yeah, I did. And three it was, hours. It was wow. like three hours long It was long a mess. Sometimes. Absolute it mess. It was a mess. And I liked the idea humorously enough because I thought I wouldn't be on video. <laughs> Ian said when I first wanted to put this on YouTube, why put it on YouTube? It's a podcast. I said, Ian, do you want people to actually hear this? And you're going to have to put it on YouTube. And he reluctantly agreed. So anyways, we did the first episode and I was less than enthused. Um, we did the second episode and I felt like it was a much better, it, it was much better. And I kind of had said, um, this is my memory. I said, let's go one more and see what happens. And on our third podcast, you and I had really kind of hit our back and forth really well where we weren't talking over each other and we had got, we, we were dealt a good hand of topics. Not and, just that, we figured out how to rein ourselves in on topics. Yeah, we did. We really learned how and to discipline. kind of shorten ourselves and, and, and not talk over. So um, it just became fun because to me, honestly... I do check the comments on YouTube once in a while, and boy, those are fun. But uh, to me, this just kind of exists in space. This isn't like doing a video. I'm not acting. That's the big thing for me. I hate acting. I don't ever want to be in another Pat the NES Punk video. And I know he swears it's going to happen, but I don't want it to. Anyways, regardless of what happens in the future. If you love me, Ian, it'll happen. Yeah. Regardless of what happens in the future... um, you love me in a minute. The fact that I don't have to act and I can be myself on the podcast and uh, Pat and I can just shoot the shit, um, that, that's why. And we have heated conversations, but we, we kind of like each other a little bit. No, we, so. we do. We do. Right? And, and, and we pretend. Yeah, this. Pat did not have to beg on his knees when he said, hey, do you want to give this a shot? I said, yeah. And like I said, I wasn't pleased with the first episode, but... Was it that horrible? I don't think it was that horrible. I don't want to go back and listen to 2DS, it. 2DS, Ben Affleck as Batman. Uh, what the fuck was the Vita topic? I can't... We just didn't know how to do what we were doing at the time. I don't think it was even the topics. It was just we we fell into a groove come episode three or four. Mm-hmm. And after that, I was I have fun doing it. Together! Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to find our way. All right. All right. I'm going to read Ryan Gorman. It's Rocket Sauce. I don't know why I'm making this motion. Pat the NES Punk at Pixel Sickle. What are you saying that for? Do the slim PS2s have a better shelf life than the fat PS2s? Um, here's the deal. I want to call it fat. It's actually just uh, big plastic. Big plastic. Um, husky. It's a husky PS2. I prefer the fat PS2s, not for any reason that I can really put into words, um, and I do find that most people who buy PS2s will choose fat PS2s. There is this kind of notion that the fast the fat PS2 is a better built PS2 than the slim. It's a PHAT PS2. Yeah. Fat. <laughs> so I no, I, I mean, do you think they are though? I think they're sturdier? No. No, and, and honestly, no, I don't. I think that they're probably both equal. But I think the size of the fat PS2 and the fact that they've been around longer and they still work, you, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, well, I, they, I, I think that people just, I think that it, there, there is a very, um, there's a mystique about the fat PS2. Yeah, the, 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 there's definitely a fan base for the fat PS2, and I think it's bigger than the slim. 
Yeah, you can drop the fat PS2 and it probably wouldn't break. The right. slim, the slim is slim. It's a, it's, it's great how they figured out. You know, seven years later, it's compressed that sucker. Yeah, it's you know, cute. Down. And, it, and, it, and it definitely and it doesn't have doesn't have the tray that's an extra moving part to yep. break motor. Does it have takes that. up less space? So there are positives to it, but, but I think most people are going to pick the fat the fat PS2 at least based on walking customers. The slim fits under my my Mandavas monitor. Well, right there you there. go. It's very nice. Next question. Maxwell O'Toole. Pat, how did you get your hands on a Sega Master System 2, and what is your overall opinion on it? So we're talking 91. Went to a yard sale. I think we mentioned this on the podcast in the last one or one before. Went to a yard sale, and I always wanted a Master System. It was one of those things where it was just like, I don't know. It was just like we talked about, it was something different. Something out there. This is before the Genesis got really popular. I was like, ah, oh, Master System. It was like, it's old, but it's still not old, you know? Um, and I loved games like Rampage, and I loved Rostan. So I was like, I want to get the system. Love Rostan in the, in the arcades. So I went to a yard sale, and I remember this guy, older guy, on a Saturday, had the Master System 1, had the light phaser controllers, had the, I don't know, it was the car, he had the, he had the, uh, the uh, Falcon uh, card game, uh, the flying simulator. Mm-hmm. It was just so weird to me to have it, to have a system that had a cartridge and a card. That was a camera graphics card. It was, Wait. like, so weird. Doesn't the Master System 2 not have a card slot? I'll get to that. Okay. So it was just it just it just kind of was cool how the system had that and it looked different than the NES. It looked sleeker design. So there was like 10, 12 games with it at least. The guy wanted to turn my money, was unsure. Next day I got my dad, hey dad, I want to go back and get it or get it for me. And of course my dad goes back and it's gone. Went to the Toys R Us. At this point in ninety one, you could even find a Master System anywhere. <laughs> you could at Kitty City, which we'll get to. But by 91, world. Kitty City where I was. But yeah, yeah, I know. Lionel. <laughs> but my Toys R Us, remember they had the display, light-up display cabinets at Toys mm-hmm. R Us where they, they'd have like RC cars and oh, stuff. Yeah. And they would have the one with the game consoles all set up. And sitting in there for five years was their master system. <laughs> and so I remember they wanted only like 60 bucks for it. They wanted like half the price, I guess, what master system cost. But they couldn't guarantee it'd work if you bought the display. The display model. So my dad was very conservative about it. He's like, with money, he's like, ah, I'm not going to take the chance. It probably worked. Sure. So I didn't get that. So went over to went over to Kitty City, Lionel Kitty City in Edison, New Jersey. I think now it's TJ Maxx, unfortunately. I get misty eyed just thinking about Kitty City because it was so much better than Toys R Us. Anyway, they had my System Two there. I ended up getting it. I think my parents bought it for me for that Christmas. So basically, that Christmas, I ended up getting. I believe that I get the Super Nintendo. No, I got it that fall of 91 before the Super Nintendo was just about getting released. And then that Christmas, I got Rostan and I got Rampage before that. And then I ended up selling the Rostan and I think maybe another game because my dad forced me to sell my Christmas presents so I can afford to get a Super Nintendo. How nice. And that's just a small view into my childhood for everyone. But the Master System 2, I remember really enjoying Rampage on it. And I did play Alex Kid in Miracle World. Again, Let's maybe out. go into that more later on a nice couch. <laughs> a nice couch? <laughs> yeah. But I liked the Master System 2. It was it was a nice little little fat system. Didn't have the snail game, which disappointed me. I didn't know about the snail game as a kid. Right. But it had Alex Kid in Miracle World. And it was cheaper made. No one bought the damn system. Master System 2 was bought like 14 people. You can't find them. It took me a while to find one with the box on eBay because I wanted to get the one with the box. Finally got it. Decent price. There's no reason to get the Master System 2. Just get the Master System 1. Alright. Next question is from Jose Aro, Wiz2119. Well, that guy unfollowed me. 
If aliens came to you and tried to explain video games without being able to talk to them, what one game would you show them? I would personally probably go with Galaga. Really? Well, because it's two directions, not four, and it's one fire button. It's very easy. Shoot the incoming aliens. Mm-hmm. Like, look, if you're, if you're showing aliens... Yeah, that's great. Show them a game that they'll, they'll think you're xenophobic and want to destroy you. Okay, you're killing the all right, fine. But they're bugs. <laughs> they're bugs. They're space bugs. Aliens don't like space bugs. They're, they're a pest. They're a pest. So that's the game you show them. That's that's the game you show them. No, but I I, I seriously think I mean if you take if you take the question non literally, I think if you show someone who has no idea what a video game is, alien or or cave person, um, Galaga left right fire. The only complicated thing you have to teach them is the strategy between doubles and not doubles. So you're not looking at you're looking at the simplicity of a game versus the artistry of a game. To show them. If it's their first time ever seeing a game, you've got to get them interested. I, I took this question as more explain the concept by showing them versus what's something they can pick up and play the with Mario little, Brothers. The, the little alien hands. Yes, yeah, Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, Super that. Mario Brothers, then I think is the easy answer. Because that was in my head too, but I'm like, well, okay, power ups and warp zones. It's a world though. It has yeah. characters. It's true. It has an objective to it. It's the first game that sort of brought that all together in that simple but yet defined way. I yeah. believe. I know it's a cliche answer, but no, it's not. But it, but it, it, it's a that's perfect, why it's that's a why valid that's, the mo- that's why yeah. it's the most well known game of all time yep. and most played game. You know because yeah. of that. Um, Nathan Wazorik. I know that because I went to school with Wazorik. Uh, <laughs> can you still be a fan of superheroes if you don't read the comics? Uh, my answer is yeah, absolutely. I think you're missing something if you don't delve into a little bit of comic book history. But can you enjoy a comic book movie? Yeah, you can because it's action, it's characters. The Marvel Universe has done a really good job of uh, you know explaining backstory to you. So yes, you can be a fan of superheroes and not read the comics, but you're only going to get more out of this stuff if you read comics. I think you would owe it to yourself to at least read the origin story. Yes. And then read like the first year or so or two or at least the, a couple of defining runs of a year. So that means if you like Daredevil, go read the first year or two of Daredevil, then read some of the Frank Miller stuff. If you like if you like uh, Spider-Man, read the first 12 issues and then read uh, some of the Romita stuff from like issues 39 to 50 and then maybe, you know, uh, some of the later era. You know, just, just you don't have to read everything, you know, but read some of the defining story arcs in the origin. I mean, Marvel puts out the Marvel Masterworks, which are fantastic for the price. Get full, Getting full color, you get all the first issues at a reasonable price so you can read, you know, defining moments when the hero first came about of Thor, Spider-Man. You know, sure. Even newer, they even do it for newer heroes. All right. Uh, Jester has two questions, so I'm just going to. He didn't use the CU podcast hashtag, but I'll allow it. But I'm going to read them both because they're the same. Do you think selling instruction manuals separately on eBay or flea markets is just milking the customer? And is it worth it to collect old NES boxes or are the people who are selling them online basically ripping you off? My answer to this might be very different from Pat's, but um, there's almost no way to guarantee you're getting a manual with a game. I mean, buying manuals, if you want to buy them, a lot of times I think you have to buy them separately. There are people who can overcharge you on the price, but I don't think that they are 
intentionally milking the customer. I think they can at times. I think you, you, you actually do see auctions where they have a rare game, they'll separate out the manual from it because they do know they'll maximize their oh, value. Oh, on purpose? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, then that's bullshit. If they have a, if they have a DuckTales 2 manual and game or they have a panic restaurant, they will separate it out because they'll get more money for it. Okay. I guess I'm just thinking like... Luna has alphabetized boxes of manuals, and you can, you know, pick what you want, and we can... I don't, I don't, that's for Pat. We don't have those, those are only for Pat. Um, or you can go to, like, a, a convention and find people who yes. have boxes of manuals. I don't think those people are milking, they're helping you complete your collection, but I guess what Pat says probably has some validity. Now, most, I'd say 90%, for example, of NES manuals you can get for a couple dollars or less. I mean, I have now over 500 manuals... And I probably haven't spent more than ten bucks, at least, or on most of them, I probably spent less than five bucks. Here's the thing about manuals: um, I love them. We love them, for example, during the marathon because if we want to figure out how to play a game, they're super handy. You because you open them up, literally handy in your hand. Oh, this is what this means for Archon. This wizard does this thing. We never There's would a- have gotten as far as we did in. Uh, uh, Space shuttle launch. Or yes, whatever the fuck it is. Kill can't that damn satellite. Yeah. <laughs> but we still we would never gotten close. We, get, we, we and it's different than there's something feel of the manual, seeing the pictures versus going online and looking at a text uh, version FAQ, or, yeah. or a PDF. No, I love manuals because of that. And same thing with boxes. I mean, yes, they can, but at the same point, no. This is a different question. That, I think no, this, that's is, different. this is a different question. I think that is, is it different. worth it to collect any of these boxes? Overall, of course it's not worth it to collect boxes. No. They add nothing to your gaming experience. Manuals add to your gaming experiences. Boxes are just a case that was meant to be thrown out. You are not meant to kept, keep boxes of your games. You weren't. No. You weren't meant to keep... Your, until the uh, Master System cases you were, Genesis cases you were. You weren't meant to keep... Nintendo your, didn't no. intend you to keep your box until GameCube. If they intend you to keep your, your your box, they wouldn't give you sleeves for your NES games to put, right. to put in. They wouldn't right. have done that. The N64 boxes are some of the flimsiest boxes I've ever held in my hands. I mean, they're just ridiculous. No. Uh, so, uh, is it worth it? I mean, we, we talk about the artwork. Is it cool to have the black boxes? Yes, they look nice. Sure. Do I need them in the grand scheme of things? No. No. I do not need, you do not need the boxes in the grand scheme of things. I think that there is, you get, well, I'll get called out in forums for this. I don't give a shit. I think it's a different type of collector that only goes for a complete box set versus um, just the games themselves that aren't satisfied with it. Overall, um, there's something, I guess, it's an extra, I don't know. There are people that have to complete everything, so getting the box, but again, whatever. I, if I never see my moral man this box again that's sitting there i don't care right i honestly don't travis shipley snes model one or model two nostalgia plays no key in answering please congrats on the air well thank you i would go with snes model one um it's absolute garbage the model two the model two is so fucking i mean i'll I'll listen to i'll listen to your nes model two arguments without laughing at you but if someone if someone can give me a reason that the model two is even close to the model one besides the fact that it doesn't yellow you know uh, the plastic yeah color wise it stays the same but there is there's no cheap there's there's no benefit it has no rf out now granted av out is better but the fact that they at just least they went the right way yeah, in that direction, though, right? Versus, but they don't give you the option, and um, the buttons I, are cheap on the front. They break. I think it feels stuck. like I feel, it just feels like shit. 
They don't have the LED, so you know the system's even on or off. I, that's one of the things I hate, too, because when I'm testing and I'm trying to just determine if the power's on or off... If, like, you, if you drop the thing, it'll explode into a million pieces. Yeah. Versus, I like the little eject button on it. No. That's the reason I like so, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I do, too. Now, some people love the Model 2, and that's fine. If it, aesthetically it pleases you more, that's okay, but like there's it. there's no real benefit to it. There's absolutely none. No. It's flimsier. It looks cheaper. It, it probably costs Nintendo a buck seventy-five each to make yeah. those Model Two Super Nintendos. What happened to all the boot discs for the GC GBA <laughs> players? Do you ever run across them? That question was from Jimmy Jet. That's like a mystery. Uh, they were used to mutilate the cattle. Is that <laughs> that's that's, that's my what they sliced them up with. Yeah, those precision laser cuts <laughs> yeah. with Game Boy Advance boot up discs. They just heated them up, sliced them up, and then uh, threw them off to the side. Which is funny because I've when I go to the swap meets, I wouldn't say I'd say maybe ten to twenty percent of GameCubes we find have the adapters on the bottom. That you never find a disc. It took I just found a disc like a month ago. Finally, I don't think you can burn them. I can't. I, think you, I don't. No. I haven't heard of it. So. I didn't even have. I guess it did come with it came with the generic plastic see through case and it had the instructions, right? Um, so I don't have the case instructions, but I had the disc. I don't have it because people try to sell the disc for like thirty bucks or twenty five bucks. Right, and, and at that point, you might as well just buy a complete Game Boy player. Exactly. So what happened to them? I guess people just weren't careful with them. Yeah, exactly. Or they forgot about it. I mean, threw it out. Whatever. Yeah, and I know a lot of like uh, flea market sellers who will sell the. Uh, the actual player without the disc and be like, oh yeah, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. They'll just send you off and then they come into the store looking for a disc and it's like, I don't have it, you just have to buy everything all over again. Um, Dan P. Oh, You skipped a few. Sorry. At NES Goomba, what's your take on speedrunning, glitch hunting, etc.? I think it's fun. It's cool. It's a nice sort of like sort of sub genre of gaming that's come about the past five six years. Speed yeah. running. You're speed making running. you're making a game within a game. I mean, I used to speed run back in like ninety eight ninety nine. I was trying to get like the best uh, speed run I could get on Ducktales, and I think I only ever <laughs> got on Ducktales. Is I, that possible? I, yeah, I only got to thirteen minutes, and I think the record is. I think uh, you actually got all, all the levels. Yeah. Wow. Thirteen minutes beating Dracula Duck, um, but. Then I found out that some guy in Japan had done it in 10, and I gave up. You say Dracula Duck? Is that like Duckula? Duckula. Yeah, whatever. Is there a Duckula in the game? Yeah. I did not know that about Duck Hunt. Have you not beaten Duck I never beat. I never had... Oh, oh, you said Duck Hunt. Duck Tales. You, you didn't say that. You said Duck Hunt. Well, whatever. I was thinking you're out of your fucking mind. Speedrunning Duck Hunt. That's you're, why I said Duck Hunt? You're a duck cunt. You guys, I'm not the one who said it wrong. Hey, you're triggering something. Oh. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways. For, as, as, for glitch hunting... Um, that I like. That's amazing that people just found, like, a, I think we saw a Super Mario World one a week or two back yeah. where they found that Goomba that was all the way down. Like a sh- It yeah. was a weird thing where you can find him for a second, like, on this level, like a mirror Speed image. Speed running is fun, but glitch hunting I genuinely admire. Because that's yeah. really cool. That say. takes dedication and a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Bloom, how do you feel about downloadable versus cart versus games for portables? Does having all your games with you trump physical copies? I personally like physical copies more. Um, I have downloaded uh, downloadable games in the instance that they were only available as download. The only game that I wish I had actually had as a downloadable copy instead of a cart-based copy was Animal Crossing because I probably would have played it longer than the nine months that I already played it if I could just bounce back and forth between a digital copy and whatever I had in my cartridge slot. I don't know about you. Um... 
well, what, what, what system are we talking about? I'm mean, talking about the, the latest one. You really want to carry around 50 Game Boy games? <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's a big stack. You got to get your case. Um, I think for portables, the the, le- the least amount, the better. You know, whether it's downloadable games on there or if you get a, ooh, a flash cart. Whatever's more convenient. The whole point about portability is that you don't have to worry about it. That's to me what the most important thing about it is. I mean, I'm not. I mean, now, yeah, I guess, I guess, portable card games will probably disappear before consoles. The more I think about it, right. But Dan P. Hi, Ian. I just opened a small online video game store, and I was wondering which games sell the best. It's tough because I. An online video game store is going to be very different than a physical video game store. And as I start to answer this, I feel like I've done this before. Maybe it's just deja vu. But for a physical video game store, if we're talking retro, it's Mario's, it's Zelda's, it's Mario Kart's, it's Smash Brothers. The popular stuff that people you know are going to want, not niche titles. I think for an online store, I think if you were to offer... I'm not talking crazy rarities, but I'm talking slightly above average rarities. Uh, things like Valkyrie Profile for the PlayStation or things like that. You know, if you offered them at a reasonable price, I think you would probably see the most profit in that. Um, you could try with Mario's and Zelda's and things like that, but you would probably have to sell them for less than a walk-in store does. Um, either way, I wish you the best of luck, and I wish I could offer you more, but I think you need to focus on more niche games um stuff that is stuff that is a little bit off the beaten path and as long as you're offering a good price on it i think you will see see yourself do well well if you're an online video game quote-unquote store whatever you set up on ebay you don't have to worry about it you have a worldwide audience you don't have to worry about foot traffic or people walking in and seeing it you know one out of ten thousand gamers will come in and want to buy a copy of i don't know legends of the diamond on the nes no that's and online, you'll find that person in a, in a week or less that'll want that. Yeah. yeah, and that's true. I mean, honestly, you could sell almost anything online because yeah, you're going to find the person who wants it. But audience. I still think, like, when I shop online stores, it's mostly for off-the-beaten-path stuff. I guess eBay. Well, eBay people search and find stuff. It's not it's a store. I'd have to see if it's an actual website store. All right. And uh, the last question uh, from Q&A is, did you guys think the podcast would be such a hit as it turned out to be? From Ido Ramos, uh, from who's been Ido with Ramos. us from the beginning, just He's about, been... at X-Files 2, 2000, Do you think the guy, uh, I'll just do the whole thing again, because it'll probably be a topic that we'll put on, on YouTube. At X-Files 2000, do you think the podcast would be such a hit as it has turned out to be? I honestly, do, I honestly didn't. Um, I don't know what a hit it has turned out to be because I honestly don't pay that close attention because it scares me to find out that a lot of that that, that people really listen to this. But um, no, especially with the first three, four, five episodes, I figured it would be something that would reach Pat's very, very hardcore fan base and not much else. What we've seen is that it's actually brought in people who don't know really Pat or I. The, the podcast kind of stands on its own. Um, Pat's popularity has definitely helped, but this has kind of gone beyond what I think Pat or I really thought it might. I'm not just, and I'm not just saying that because now when I uh, when we went to SGC uh, a couple months ago, and uh, or a month ago, went to Con Bravo, I get a good amount of people that's saying, "Where's Ian? Why isn't Ian in here?" People are asking at the panel, "Where's that, that might the Pat the Angus Punk panel do? Where's Ian?" I'm awake and stiff. So whether Ian likes it or not, he's got to come out of these panels to greet the fans. <laughs> he's going to be at MAGFest next year. You know, like he, 
it's, it's become, like I said, it's weird because it's also different that, um, you know, when I'm doing the Pet Needs Punk videos, I'm, I'm putting on, you know, it's, it's an act. It's, it's an extension of the personality, but it's not me. This is me for the most part. So, and I did a radio show in college, so I knew that a podcast is something I'd be at least interested in doing because I, I, I think it's a lost art overall. And podcasts now are getting actually more and more popular, um, but it's still, it's not as big as YouTube. It's not as big as video, but um, I, don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think uh, again, if we go back to our Zoe Quinn topic, people like us because we can have a rational conversation about something without killing each other because we're not fucking babies. We, we are adults. Pat you know. and I, well, in, in, in beyond the Zoe Quinn topic, any topic that we have, Pat and I don't, uh, no pun intended, sit around patting each other on the back. Um, we don't echo each other's same sentiments that often. Even if we feel the same way about something, we have different takes on it. We disagree on certain things. We agree on certain things. And I guess I think maybe for the listener, that's interesting. Yeah, because we brought this up before with that other topic, is that when you listen to people on the internet, uh, overall, especially the YouTube audiences, you are either seeking out someone that you know you're going to agree with or you know you're going to hate. You rarely seek out an actual conversation between people bouncing ideas and disagreeing and actually having either a debate or, or somewhat intelligent conversation with each other. That doesn't exist on YouTube, really. You don't really find that. Right. It's usually, it's usually an echo chamber or, again, someone you are, you're watching someone that get pissed off and hate, which I don't understand that. I don't ever do that myself. Yeah. And plus, I don't like usually <laughs> watching echo chamber stuff either. I want to watch something to get information or to learn or maybe, oh, that's a very interesting take on something. Yeah. I, I, have, I have my feelings. I have my stances. I have my causes. But I do like to hear both sides of a story. And if I'm not hearing that, then I have no interest. I feel like we try to at least give multiple sides. If not multiple sides, multiple angles of the same side. Sure. I have to pee so bad. And we have one question left, which is really <laughs> well, just your question. Well, it's not a question, but this is something that we didn't really bring up when I, I, asked, I asked the audience. What are your fondest memories of the past year of the podcast, Ian? Honestly, it sounds stupid, but memories one of... Memories like the ones we used to know. Just the fact that we did it, um, and, and we got through it, uh, it was fun to a degree. It wasn't fun <laughs> at all. But it was uh, interesting to see the reaction to the uh, the first part of the stalker story, which may never get a second part. <laughs> um, it's been fun uh, watching you uh, revel in my disdain for Zack Snyder. And Michael Bay. Uh, and Michael Bay. <laughs> <laughs> and and goaded a little bit. Uh, yeah, and, and goaded a I'm little bit. I'm like the bit. provocateur more uh, on, on, the webs- on, the, on the podcast. You really are. You really just kind of try to push my buttons. <laughs> um, but no, it, it, it kind of goes back to what you say. My, my favorite, it's not even a moment, but it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing theme. You and I can discuss topics that we agree on and that we don't agree on, and we can still provide uh, decent viewpoints. Um, I, I enjoyed the funniest thing from the podcast to me was the, I enjoyed the Max story a lot, but you talking about the rude customers and little bitch. Oh. I said that <laughs> I laugh at that every time I think, cause I can picture the person saying it to you. People will still text me that or not text, <laughs> like, uh, they'll still Twitter me that like randomly. They'll just be like little bitch. Um, 
in terms of it almost seems like you've had most of the funny moments versus me i've gone off i've gone off on resellers which you try to kind of reel me in back for some whatever reason i don't i don't say i don't go off as much as you on stuff i'm trying to think of one time i really exploded on something like really got really. Um, I don't fuck. What is oh, it? There, oh, was, like the, the... there was one time where you said fuck a bunch, and people in the comment section on YouTube were like, "I've never heard Pat swear so much." And I think was, it was, was, it, was the I custom it, manuals, or I think whatever. it was a reseller or something like that. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a. It was a. Guy, it was a reproducer, basically. It was the one doing the CDs. Yeah, I think it might have been that. Was that I think it might have been the Snatcher CD. That, that's what got that me. Was that, a good, that's that what was got, a good... got my ire up the most. Yeah, that was a good moment. I mean, we've had, we've had. I mean, obviously, we had a passing of a, of a friend. We we spoke about. I mean, that wasn't a good moment, but it was memorable. It was a good moment, but it was memorable and important. Um, it's given me a few opportunities to talk about depression and suicide, which are very important topics for me. Sure, uh, it's let me get a lot off my chest, and I realize some people might not like hearing about that stuff. But I don't get a lot of opportunities to just talk about that. So that's been very good for me, whether or not it's been great for everyone else i don't know but that's a good memory for me is being able to get that out there i remember we had our, our very nice talk about uh, our christmas memories yeah that, that was, was that fun. was fun nes marathon memories before we did the fourth nes that marathon was, that was a lot of that was times. a lot of, and i gotta start cutting up the nes marathon moments from the fourth marathon because don't li- forget the uh don't forget the uh, maniac mansion jam session <laughs> that's yeah, important because believe it or not n- next month Ian, we gotta start planning the fifth annual nes marathon in about a month well, we gotta start planning it get married first <laughs> no it's gotta be planned <laughs> you're getting it married a month before the marathon's gonna happen this year so we gotta be planned before that <laughs> unfortunately for the kids, Ian. Yeah. Any, any, any other any other memories besides uh, you know Danny providing his his great Danny, mentoring to us? Danny Sullivan has been been a I, true inspiration. I'm not kidding. We're gonna call him at one point in this. We're gonna call up Danny Sullivan and interview him. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I'll I'll seriously research his career and talk to him. Talk I, to him. I think I think I think for the next couple of days, you and I could hashtag favorite you know whatever we wanted to call. See you podcast memories. See you podcast memories because right now when. It, it's the same reason you and I don't like to answer favorite questions. You it's know? hard. It, it, it's hard to come up with these things like on the spot. But over the next few days, I bet you Pat and I will come up with some favorite CU podcast moment. Yeah, well, well we moments. went through most of the big hits. I mean, we now on YouTube, we put out about probably 12 to 14 topics every two weeks. That's 28 videos a month. Yeah. Just from the podcast. So, yeah, well, speaking of the podcast, if you'd like to support the CU podcast going forward, <laughs> we do have a Patreon that Ian set up. We do. Uh, the money is split 50-50 between Pat and I. We're doing this at the end in case you didn't want to hear it again. <laughs> Basically, there are three basic tiers. One dollar gets you in. Thank you very much. And you can read my ramblings once to twice a week. Uh, Four dollars gets you... It's not really an exclusive clip because it's available freely on the audio podcast, but we'll throw up a clip that we normally I, wouldn't throw up. I put up, I put up, throw up. I vomited two clips up onto the Patreon from the last, and you get, you might get an exclusive look at a, at a video clip that'll appear in the future. Right. And, and you need to please understand that um, this is not stuff we're withholding. This is stuff that we normally wouldn't put up. Yeah, but hey, if you're gonna drop us some money, we'll throw you an extra bone. And then for the six dollar tier. Um, Two times a month, you will get the full podcast unedited in video form. Yeah, it, the, the six hours it takes me to render and upload, that's what you're getting twice a month. Yeah. The full video, warts and all, our awful transitions, Ian cutting me off when he shouldn't. You're going to get all of it except for us singing Belinda Carlisle at the beginning. That's what you're not going to get, but you're, <laughs> you're going to get the rest of it. I feel like they should get Belinda Carlisle. And, and, and uh, the funds goes towards our direct support. 
Uh, I'm going to upgrade the camera. We have a fan now in the room, so I'm not sweating my ass off as much as I usually am. Yeah. So that's good. And uh, yeah, we're going to upgrade at least... I'm going to figure out how to have two HD cameras. And these are HD cam uh, webcams, but we're going to set up so I'm going to be using the video. The camera I shoot my videos with normally will be one of us being shot very nicely. I don't look like shit. So probably you'll look like shit, and I'll be shot very nicely. I always look like shit. <laughs> you look very nice. So, so, so happy one anniversary. We're going to have a cupcake. For Pat Country, I'm Ian. My back teeth are floating. <laughs> I will let Pat take us out. Good day. <laughs> and, and in the typical fashion, I've done Ian's leaving the podcast early. There's Ian going out the door. All piss and vinegar, but mostly piss. <laughs> so for Ian Ferguson, I am Pat Country. We'll see you on the interwebs. We'll see you on Stitcher. We'll see you on iTunes. Good night, everyone. Have a pleasant tomorrow.